What are the pros and cons of the direct market? That is the question that we are here to answer today. And there's a lot to be said about that subject. And so we went and we found a comics pro to help us shed some light on this big subject. And we got one of my favorites. We snagged comic book writer, veteran, horror aficionado, and all-around awesome guy, Dirk Manning. Thank you for joining us, Dirk. Oh, listen, like I said off the air, I'll say now publicly, I have so much love and respect for what you guys do, and it's really an honor to be able to be on and like join the actual show with you guys today. I, I was trying to figure out how many times I've been on and you know, been on in various capacities through the years, but to actually get to come hang out with you guys for the whole show, like I told you, Sean, and I'll tell you publicly, this is like a lifeless moment for me. So thank you for the opportunity. I'm 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 super stoked to be here with you guys today. Yeah, not to toot our own horn, but it is a pretty good way to start the Saturday. It kind of gets the day going. <laughs> well, that's right. it, man, right? We could jump in and go and 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 again, like I was saying earlier, you know, this is a situation where normally when we see each other, it's a New York Comic Con, right? Hundreds of thousands of people around in a suit it's always like a stop and go touch and go things like that this time we get to sit down and just seep in the the joy of comic culture and and chatting and talking and I'm, I'm 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 stoked to be here so thank you for having me well some would say there's not a lot of joy to be had when discussing the direct market but that's not the only <laughs> thing we're doing today we've got a lot of things on tap for today uh, we're gonna do a draft as always if we hit the likes goal which for today is going to be 25. So if you're watching us right now and you can hear my voice, you need to hit that like button. Uh, we've got so much going on. I also want to say just before we get started with this conversation uh, that uh, Dirk has a Kickstarter going on right now. Um, yeah. It's for Hope Volume 2. This is for the Kickstarter exclusive hardcover. I read Hope. Uh, Hope Volume 1 and 2 are both awesome. And it's not, uh, it's not like some long you know, 30, 40, 50 issue affair. We're still in the early goings of it. So get on, get in on the ground floor right now. We're going to talk more about that and more with Dirk um, about uh, hope and a lot of other things. But for now, if you want to know more, you can go to correct me if I'm wrong, a hero for hope.com hero for hope.com. You can jump in at the, I'm new here to pledge, get the whole series to date. We've unlocked seven stretch goals, including a, kickstarter exclusive wraparound variant cover that's exclusive to the kickstarter hardcover edition all kinds of cool stuff all kinds of cool entry points uh hero for hope.com and i just put that link in the chat so if you guys want direct access to that you can just click that link here we go so the direct market is something that i think a lot of people misunderstand um and don't necessarily know the origins of and we've talked about it here on the show briefly when we did the history of the DC Comics implosion. You know, I briefly went over the origin of the direct market and why it needed to exist. So here we go. Uh, in the 70s, it was already evident that the newsstand business, the you know grocery store business of selling comics was not going to be sustainable in the long run anymore. Um, comic book publishers like Marvel and DC were losing their ass to returnability. What is returnability? 
So at the time, and I guess some in some ways now, uh, you know, stores of any kind, a retailer orders their shipment of comics, right? And then they have a window, maybe sometimes not even, in which they can return that book to receive all the money that they paid for it. So if a newsstand orders 20 copies of Superman, right, and they don't sell half, then they can send the half they didn't sell back to DC and DC will refund them their money, right? That is a very, very, very hard business to be in. And at that time, DC was selling through, uh, I think it was 30%, meaning that they were losing money on 70% of what they were selling. I believe that was the number. That's really, really bad. Whereas for Marvel, it was the opposite number. And so what happened is that someone, a genius, had the idea to open specialty shops where you could just buy comics. You could walk in. There's no Time magazines. There's no Playboys or anything like that. It's just comics. And so if you love comics... That's where you go. You don't need to go to the newsstand anymore, right? They already have you. And so what worked so well was that in the direct market, which is what that means really is just shops that sell comics, comic book stores, and that whole, you know, conglomerate. Um, Returnability went away. So these stores, these comic book shops, bought comics from Marvel and DC and others, And had to sell them in order to make money. And DC and Marvel made their money upon selling the books to the stores. Meaning that they could sell directly to their audience. And didn't have to worry about competing with anyone but themselves. About anything but comics. So that's the origin of the direct market. And of comic book shops. And it was great in the beginning. Of course, all these years later, there are all these problems. And I want to get into, and I want to start with Dirk, of course. I want to ask you. It's, it's, and, and you have an interesting relationship to the direct market. Because <laughs> you're in it. But right. you mostly, I think, you know, you're a road warrior. So I want you to talk about what your experience is like with the direct market and what you sort of think um we'll start we'll start with the pros what do you think the pros are of the direct market yeah i i appreciate the the transparency in regards to the direct market is uh, is something that i have a very unique relationship with as a as a someone that does primarily create our own comics with a lot of uh, what people would call independent or small press publishers such as source point press um the pros of the direct market, I think, are inherent. The fact that you have magnet locations to go to, in theory, to get exactly what you want. For example, uh, here, it's sitting right here. Oh, volume one. Trade paperback, right? We did the issues first, we did the trade paperback. So if you want this book, you've heard the hype about Dirk Manning. You saw me on the Comics Pals. You are just looking for something fresh and different. Maybe you met me at a convention. You want to go get more books. Uh, You can actually go to a comic book store and say, hey, 
there's a Dirk Manning guy. He had this book called Hope. I, I, I got the first issue for Free Comic Book Day or what have you. And, and I want to get the book. And you can go there and get it. And in theory, and I'm just going to stick to the pros right now. In theory, that store should have access to very easily directly order you that book a week or so later. Boom, you have it. You can come in. And then you can also celebrate the, the culture of comics and, and discover new stuff, which I think is the other very big pro to the idea of a direct market and comic book shop. You can go in there and explore. You know, uh, yeah, people of a certain age are going to quickly lose the idea of what it's like going to a, a video store, for example, right? Going to a blockbuster or better yet, a locally owned video store. We had a local, locally owned video store not far, um, I went to college and, they, and it was a college town and they specialized in niche film they had a john woo section right they had a quentin tarantino section right and they, and they had all this stuff with multiple copies you know so to be able to get to go into a comic book store and explore and discover things past what your local um i don't know myers or kroger or whatever your grocery store chain of, of choice may be iga to go in there where they're only going to probably carry marvel dc the big corporately owned titles those are the pros, and those are very, very strong pros. And of course, there's a there's a downside to this, which we'll get to later. But but the fact that we have these magnet populations, we have a direct market that you can go in and order exactly what you want. Huge plus, huge plus for people like me that are creating comics without the support of Disney money or Warner Brothers money. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of those pros. I mean. <sighs> Maybe I'm just a negative Nancy today, but I keep thinking about the cons. <laughs> uh, but the the pros are right. Like I, uh, you mentioned, like a video store. Like I had one growing up too called Video Visions, which is an, a nearby video store. And just being able to walk in and see everything, um, it kind of makes me want to pick up more things than I actually came in for. Um, which is part of the reason why I went digital. So <laughs> uh, uh, because it's it's less likely that I'll spend a lot more money. Um, but yeah, just going into the store and seeing all the, the books lined up on a wall, uh, it's, it's almost like going into a casino. It's all these good, colorful things. I want all of them, um, which discoverability is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing. Discoverability. You know, if you want to get a comic, if you want to find something different and let's say you are plugged in, I think the advantage as well is, well, you have a, ideally a community that exists and persists there to allow you to do those things to to facilitate the continued reading of comics i think that's also i i, I would argue I, one of the the things that most if not all comic book readers do is you know, this was cool you should read this recommendations are heavy yeah and if, it, if it's a good comic book shop they'll kind of foster that community aspect you know we're going to be talking about one later but um that's where the uh how everything is not, it's not a monolith comic shops. It's not a monolith. Every one of them is different and some of them don't really foster that community. Um, so, uh, potentially that could be a pro across the board, you know, having community nights. If, if comic book shops had book clubs, that'd be great, you know, but some don't, some, it's just like you go in, nobody talks to you and you come out. Yeah. My local comic shop, we had, uh, for many, many, many years, like an informal gathering that me and my, my friends, we all got together on Wednesday and we hung out. And it's not necessarily that we just talked about comics. Sometimes we did like, oh, the new issue and such and such is out. You know, oh, the new issue, the goon by Eric Powell. Yeah, or Preacher's out. Yeah, whatever it may be. But 
that sense of community as well is so powerful. And and I think more and more what you're even seeing with comic cons now is I think in some ways they're taking the place of the comic shop in regard to creating an experiential opportunity, right? The experience. You look at a lot of the marketing, a lot of the bigger comic cons now, you know, uh, the repop shows, for example, they're they're drilling down more and more into come here and hang out with your people, right? And being at a comic shop and having a direct market that sports comic shops where every Wednesday, you know, 10 of us could get together and just see each other every week and then hang out, whether it be, you know, a- after work, it was like this informal thing, you know, some people go to the bar, some people go here. All those geeks, we went to the comic shop and we're hanging out, you know, so, and then over time, you know, new people kind of come into the group and then people move away and some people move out. And that community thing is, is very, very powerful and allows you to just, like you said, allows you to discover new books too. Someone's like, oh, by the way, Dirk, have you been reading such and such? Like, no, like, oh, I think you'll like it. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. You know, a couple bucks. I'll pick it up. I'll check it out. In fact, at my comic shop, there's this gag. Me and this other guy, if we both like a book because our our uh, our tastes are so diametrically opposite, that's a book everyone should get. Like Invincible is <laughs> one of those books. But like Dirk likes it and he likes it. He, this is probably a book we should all check out. Objectively. <laughs> you know? Objectively, right, right, right. That's so good. Yeah, I, I remember um, before, before mine uh, closed uh, in the city, I used to go into work. Wednesday would show up, stroll up, and after... He'd, he'd open until about seven, seven, he'd like pull down the curtains, you know, and uh, the door would get locked, he'd lock the door <laughs> and then uh, he, he'd bring out, he'd bring out just like a, a glass of whiskey for people. And, you know, you're just like, you're sitting there, you're chit-chatting about whatever. And we're just, we're hanging out. We're having a good time. And that was my after work, 7 PM, picking up comics and hanging out with people. That's strong, right. get, strong foundational memories. Yeah. Get pizza or something and just, just hang out. Right. Or, or whiskey. <laughs> So, I mean, I have no uh, community aspect to my comic shop. I go to Midtown Comics, as most people here Hydra know. Comics. And, uh, yeah, there's no community aspect. But, you know, I do love the fact that, for the most part, they always have what I need. Um, and uh, I don't get accosted. So it's pretty nice. Um, something changed with the direct market as comic book publishers started to realize just how much money readers of comics were willing to spend. Most people think about, you know, especially when you talk about the past of comics, most people think about like, you know, a parent taking their annoying kid to the grocery store. And like, if you just chill, I'll buy you a comic, right. Or at the newsstand or whatever. But the direct market was very different. It was targeting adults. It was targeting, you know, younger adults, maybe college age, and then certainly older, right? People with expendable income. And so it wasn't enough to sell somebody, you know, a 70 cent comic or, you know, as we got into the dollar amounts uh, prices, then it became, well, how much more can we get? Can we sell people the same comic twice? Can we entice people to buy a comic that they wouldn't normally buy with a different cover? Right? We got into the variance aspect of comics. Then we got into speculators, right? And it became this really kind of just how much money can we milk out of this industry? And I think that's when things started to get bad. 
And then you look at what happened in the nineties and how there was a, you know, really a collapse due to speculation, um, people buying comics that don't actually read them. Um, and it's been, it's been weird since. And a lot of people put the blame on the direct market for that because as the world has trended digital, Comics are very much still analog. You know, we're still paper. Uh, what's the number? 15, 10%, 15% would yeah, be 10%. maybe a stretch. Read comics digitally. That means that about 90% of people that read comics today do not read them digitally. They read them physically. So that in theory, and this is where we get into the cons, in theory, that alienates people who want to read comics but don't want to go to a comic book store and then you have marvel and dc with like their uh timed exclusivity of you know books are not available on digital platforms for x amount of months um until you know whatever whatever that date is um and it makes it so that it's hard to keep up digitally it, you you know it's it's not one-to-one necessarily so in your guys' minds, what are the cons of the direct market? In what ways is the direct market keeping comics from moving forward? And I'd love to start with Dirk again. And again, from the lens of a creator <laughs> whose work doesn't all necessarily revolve around the direct market. Herein lies a tale. <laughs> Is people that have heard me on this show before or are familiar with my work know, I started my career in comics 20 years ago. You know, somebody in the 20 years of terror, right? Publishing comics online. Uh, I was one of the OGs of online comics, of web comics. My first series, Nightmare World, started as an online comic book. We posted two pages a week, every Thursday, new eight-page story every month. Boom. I preface what I'm about to say with that because when I got to a point when I started moving to getting my comics in print, first with smaller publishers like Ape Comics, uh, Nightmare World then got picked up by Image Comics for a while. I, I recognized that the strong likelihood of me ever being able to monetize this career and make money was through this Kafka-esque system of the direct market. I didn't publish issues when I started. I published books. Uh, I published original graphic novels. You know, I mean, I would put things out with a spine, and you can see my office here. You know, I'm surrounded by books. You know, it's like put my stuff on a shelf. When I started early on in my career, I had this very naive belief that just offering really good, high quality stuff will get the direct market to order your books. <laughs> you know. Not true. And you think I would know that because, you know, being involved in music journalism for years before that, you know, the best bands are always the ones that get the most popular. But one of the things I recognized right away in regards to the direct market is that comic bookstore owners, like any small business owner, I, I, I would imagine, are very much creatures of habit. And oftentimes uh, are, have a very, are very interested in, in, in maintaining a certain order to what they do, right? Um, I'm going to say something very vulnerable. I, uh, when I started getting published, I went to my local comic book shop and I said, hey, 
my, my book is in pre my, my books and previews, things like that. I appreciate if you could order it. And uh, he kind of said to me, he goes, well, Derek, he goes, you know, the issue with you is he goes, you're on the road so much. And he goes, and you direct, you do a lot of direct sales. He goes, I don't want to stock a book that won't sell. And I remember I was so hurt. I literally threw my arms out and I said, yes, God forbid you have books on the shelves that don't sell because I'm looking at, you know, five extra copies of Batman and five extra copies. But like, and here's a store I poured thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into for years. I went to every week, but his knee jerk reaction was, well, I don't want to have books on the shelf that don't sell. I'm like, you can't sell it if you don't have it. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's the paradox. I think we're going to see, well, maybe we'll get that later, like, but I would say like an evolution in the direct market about the stores that are surviving. We're seeing a lot of stomach, uh, comic book shops close right now. The other issue with the direct market to that point is, again, you look at someone like me, who for 20 years, uh, I, by and large, do creator-owned work. Again, smaller press publishers, ape comics, image comics. I mean, I don't know if you call them small press or not, but but if you, you know, for argument's sake, Devil's Do. Now Source Point Press, right? I, I, I'm kind of like the small furry mammal, you know, you're scurrying around and things like that with what I do. And what I have found time and time again, and it didn't matter if I was with Devil's Do, even when I was at Image, the Source Point Press, I would market and I would push, hey, my new book is coming out in comic book stores. I primarily do a first release of my books on Kickstarter to cater directly to my active fan base. And even in doing Kickstarter, I offer Kickstarter exclusive hardcovers because I know that the direct market does not want a hardcover from a creator-owned guy that they may not know, mm. right? So I offer a premium edition of the book, uh, a first printing, um, I'll go get rid of this one, right? Exclusive cover. If you get Cthulhu, right? If you get Cthulhu Jr. in the stores, you get the same book, but it's a soft cover, different cover. But if you're a fan of my work, you want to get the, you know, the, the, the variant cover, the a limited edition hardcover, you can get it through me. The reason I did I do Kickstarter is the way I do by offering premium hardcover editions of the book with variant covers and all that cool stuff was specifically to not isolate the direct market. You can still get if you want to buy it at a retailer pledge pledge level and get some exclusive hardcovers that are a little higher end, a little higher cost. Cool. Otherwise, you my theory was. You can instead get the standard edition, a little bit lower cost, trade paperback, and push this book to your readers, make it available to your readers. What I have found, and this is as a creator, again, with a, that doesn't write for Marvel, doesn't write for DC. I would have people go to a comic book store and say, hey, order, uh, I would like to order Tales of Mystery Volume 5. Okay, there's a book. This book clearly exists. It has a notable publisher in the direct market, SourcePoint Press. They would go to a store and say, there's this book out. I want to order a copy of this book. And I've heard this from all over the country. Some comic book stores say, well, you know, we don't do special orders. Hmm. And the reason given, and in fact, Evan Dorkin, uh, who's probably most famous for Milk and Cheese, but... He did a comic book or comic strip called Dork. And he has this whole bit that encapsulates this perfectly. Kid goes in and says, I want to pre-order this comic. And the guy says, 
well, what if I pre-order it and you don't come pick it up? And the kid goes, okay, well, I'll just give you the money now so that you know it's paid for. He goes, oh, what? Then you expect me to hang on to it? Do you come back in? Where am I going to put it? Now I'm going to keep track of it for you. Right? And it becomes, again, this big Kafka-esque, Byzantine, like, absurd thing. But I've seen that happen. I have people go to comic book stores trying to order my books, and they're like, ah, well, you know, you know. I had that personally happen, being a horror comic guy, when I went to order the first issue of The Walking Dead. Hmm. Again, I'm what? not trying to throw shade at my, I'm not, remember, when Walking Dead number one came out, Image Comics was was kind of in the doldrums a little bit right and here i am trying to order a black and white horror comic a first issue from a relatively unknown creator i think at that point maybe he did something like eric eric larson or something previously or that was about you know very you know battle pope made as well little stuff and i go to my and again i'm not trying to bury my comic shop because they're very they they have come around and they've been very supportive of me i've done signings there and things like that but I remember going in and I said, hey, I saw a preview of this horror book coming out through Image, The Walking Dead. I want to get the first issue and check it out. Yeah, you know, we really don't order a lot of those unknown Image books. Wow. I'm like, here's my $3. <laughs> I have a pull. Order it and put it in my slot. Okay. But I that's how hard I had to push to get the first issue of a book, which became a cultural phenomenon. So when you ask what are the cons of the direct market, again, we have wonderful comic book stores out there. Uh, next weekend, I'm doing a signing at Pack Rat Comics in Hilliard, Ohio. They're doing a Waffles with the Writer event. They're doing a free chicken and waffles buffet and come in and we can talk about writing comics and stuff and in and, and support of the release of the new edition of Right or Wrong that I wrote. Dude, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take a road trip, dude. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and and, and you know, uh, Jen King over at Space Cadets Collection Collection, and 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 there, there's countless cool stuff. I'm not going to start making a list because we'll we'll run out. But as a creator of independent comics, we want to support comic book stores, but we also have to find ways to help get them to support us too. Because otherwise, yeah, I'm going to go to Kickstarter. I'm going to sell my books that way. But you can make the money too. How can I be making, you know, $15,000 on this book, $130,000 on this book, you know, you know, $20,000 on this book, $30,000 on Kickstarter? It clearly is selling, right? But are you willing to take away a little bit of money and maybe order a couple lex extra copies of a corporately owned comic that you're going to remainder out for 25 cents at a con anyway, and push that into some unknown creators, find out who's in your region, find out who you can bring in for a signing for free comic book day, or just, just, you know, diversify your assets a little bit. Yeah. Einstein said it best. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, different results. If you're always ordering 30 issues of a corporately owned comic and only sort of ordering 20, order 20 or maybe order 22 and then push that money somewhere else and, and diversify, and but then promote it. I'll say this last thing. I'll shut up. Same comic book shop. Tell me a very, very valuable lesson in business. And I think it sums it up perfectly. Many, many years ago, there's a small Dirk Manning. I went to the comic shop and I was looking for a specific comic. And I look at the wall and he was out of it. Uh, and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I said, oh, good. But I was looking for the new issue. Gosh, I think it was like Ghost Rider back in the day. I'm, I'm looking for the new Ghost Rider. And I see, you know, and I see he's sold out of it already. And 
I kind of was a little bit of shit. I'm like, I really wanted to come buy it from you. And he goes, Dirk, let me tell you a secret. Books make me no money sitting on the shelf. That was real powerful, right? But I think that's another business aspect we need to consider here. Not only, again, we can talk about this for hours, so I'll, I'll, I'll cap myself. But I, I think the cons of the drug market come down to the comic book store is going to survive. They're going to become boutique stores that know their audience, that are familiar with the industry as a whole, not just the corporately owned stuff, and continue to market and direct and push that stuff. Dirk, do you? How do you consider when you put out your books uh, the direct market in that case? Is it secondary? Is it tertiary? Like, like where, where in your priority? As because you mentioned Kickstarter is going to be your first spot, right? From right. there on, how do you how do you think about a direct market? Is that supplemental? Is that you're just ensuring that you're covering all bases? Like, like what is what is the direct market in your mind? My goals are as a creator is to make sure that anybody that wants to get my books can get, get them as easily as possible. Mm-hmm. Kickstarter is the way to, to be an early adapter, get the cool deluxe version, right? I see the direct market as, as uh, honestly, in regards to my business model, it's supplemental. Mm-hmm. I do conventions. I sell books that way. I have more. I, I'm like I'm like a band in a way, right? There's there. I, I go to different towns. I, I put on a performance at a, at a convention, a, a concert, make an appearance for a couple of days. I, I meet new readers that way. I meet existing readers that way. But right now, uh, the direct market is very soft. Mm-hmm. It's soft for everybody. Everybody, it's soft right now. And to me, it's just supplemental because ultimately, who I am selling to in the direct market is not readers it's store owners mm-hmm. how do i get store owners to realize you might really your people might really like tales of mystery your people might really like cthulhu jr your people might really like butts and seats your people might really like hope etc 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 right ultimately who i'm selling to is through comic book stores it's not readers I reach readers through social media. I I reach readers by hanging out with you guys. I reach readers by going to conventions and having a nice setup. And people walk by and say, oh, you're right, man. They horror comics. I like horror. Oh, cool. You know. And the secondary market at this point is supplemental to me. I would like it to be more. Um, we'll see what happens. It, right? it, it's hard, though, because when in direct market and comic book shops run on such thin profit margins mm-hmm. that they they're just risk averse and like it's, it's understandable but it sucks <laughs> that that's it and that's why I, I don't i'm not mad but the thing is too it's like again the definition of insanity is doing the same thing expecting different results and and for every dirk manning that's out there there's a hundred other creators saying the same thing put me in coach give me a chance market buy my books People will like them. No one makes a comic book and says, eh, this book will be okay. Right? So instead, it's like, uh, it's very, very tough. And you have to do things to kind of build your brand, build brand awareness, have high quality product, make it accessible, and then convince store owners, hey, shave a little bit of money off that corporate stuff and push it over here. 
But even then, you're asking them to do that three months in advance. Then three months later, you got to circle back around and say, okay, the book is now hitting shelves. Uh, Haunted Highon's Curse of the Green Book is now hitting shelves. Now, remember, three months ago, you believed in this book. Make, make sure people know what it is now. And you're right. The profit margins are so slim on comic books and anything that's printed on paper that that a lot, a lot of our comic book store owner friends are living day to day. Yeah. Right. And 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 the Spider-Mans and the Batmans and things like that, the X-Men's and all that stuff. It may not be ideal, but at least it's safe and it's consistent and it keeps the lights on. And to your earlier point, you mentioned, you know, the the habit, right? I think the store owner caters to the habit, to to the to the creature of their store. I like I I don't think and maybe it comes down to that fostering of community. How do I foster a community that is more open to getting a new book, to to seeing a shelf and saying, "Hey, I've never seen this. You know, I already got my uh, my issue of Spider Man, X Men, and Batman this week. How do I, as a store owner, help facilitate uh, an environment where, okay, you got your books, but also check this thing out. You know, uh, I know this creator. Hope is really really good. I think you should give it a shot." Um, right. Mm, but think but, of all think of all the steps to get to that point where you just right. said. Yeah. They got it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, and, and I think especially for somebody who is just built in is the Wednesday Warrior, right? I I know I know exactly where my books are going to be. I was going to yep. be on the the bottom shelf because I know that I missed last week's book for this thing, top shelf for this yep. thing, and I go to the I go to the register. Yep. I mean, if and you're you Wednesday. And if you're a Wednesday warrior, you probably already have the books pulled for you beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you're not even right. browsing the shelves at that point. <laughs> on my list. Yeah. Right. And, and Sean, you made a very powerful point earlier about paper. Ultimately, book people like the thing. You know, and again, I feel like a walking commercial right now. And I apologize, but I just haven't had stuff here. So this was a limited edition hardcover of uh, Haunted High Ons. A Twisted Haunted Highest Curse of the Green Book. Leather bound, gold, right? Hardcover, nice. limited. Right. But this is the type of thing that makes book people drool. This was limited edition. You could only get it directly through them in a Kickstarter style model. Otherwise, if you want this book, you can still get it, but you get the trade paperback edition, which again is, is fine. But paper people like the artifact. We like the thing. We like to hold it. I'm like, oh, I got this leather-bound edition of the book. Oh, you know, that's so cool, right? So that that's one of the things, too, is that we we need to – I think the comic book stores and the direct market are going to survive are going to be catering to the market of people who want the thing. They want what you see behind me, bookshelves full of books. I want to hold it. I want to touch it. I want to feel it in my hands, right? But – Again, the, the 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 profit margin on that is slim. Paper paper costs are through the roof right now. Shipping costs are through the roof right now. It, it, it's tough. It, I have it, as hard as I may sound like I'm being on the direct market. I also understand the very very difficult economic realities they're facing. It's it's tough. It it's tough right now, but we do this because we love it. And I think that, that that last point about we do it because we love it is something that is shared among 
everybody who partakes in comics, right? Like it doesn't really matter what side of it you're on, whether you're a retailer, a fan, a creator, whatever. We all we all love comics and we're all in it for that reason. Um, the problem is that, you know, some aspects of, you know, the direct market, some aspects of comic book shops can test an individual's love of comics and of this industry. So here's something that I think is crazy in the direct market, right? And it was it's kind of been touched on through this conversation, but I want to put a bullet on it. If I want to buy, let's say, just as a random example, don't look too far into it, the latest, the Marvels, right, on Blu-ray. And I want to go to Best Buy and do that. I can go to pretty much any Best Buy on the planet Earth, and I'm going to walk in. I'm going to say I want the Marvels, or I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to see it, and I'm going to grab it. And I'm going to go to the front and I'm going to pay for it. And that's going to be it. They're not going to talk to me about why I shouldn't watch this movie because it has three women as the main characters and how black women suck. And they're not, that's not going to come up. They're not going to talk to me about Trump. They'll get fired, right? That, that they, they wouldn't risk themselves doing that. That'd be insane. The person that works at Best Buy is only a representative of Best Buy. That's all that they are. They're a worker. When you go to a comic book shop, you are dealing with the the personality of the shop, which is dictated by the people that own it and the people that work there. And for some kinds of people, that can be horrible, right? If you live in, we talked about, uh, I think I think his name was Phil Boyle. Yeah, we talked about Phil Boyle, who owns a shop in South Florida, and he was saying that you know his his uh, shop goers don't want to see all these diverse characters and they don't want, you know, all these uh, pushes for, you know, uh, diversity in comics. That's not what they want. So imagine if you are a woman and you go to that shop and you want to buy Captain Marvel and you pick it up and you go to the front and the very same person who you are trying to pay for a comic book is telling you not to buy it. And they're telling you not to buy it, not because it's bad. They don't even know if it's bad. They probably haven't even read it. They're telling you it's bad because of their agenda and their personal feelings. Why the fuck would I want to go to a store to be told what I should and should not buy based on what someone else thinks? I'm a woman. I want to go buy a comic book. I didn't come here to get accosted. It happens all the time. Is this why you go to Midtown Comics? Because you get no interaction. <laughs> I love it. I don't. I don't. I don't actually want that interaction. I really don't. I'm awkward, and I'm tired. Okay, and I just want to go from point A to point B, and that's it. I don't oh, want a middleman. Yeah, comic book store owners and and workers are middlemen between what I want and what they have, and you have to go through their bullshit to get it. It, it's it's funny you mentioned that and then i think of like a, an old comic book shop that that it's closed down since uh but like the people there would argue with the guy who owned the shop and honestly i think everyone loved it from both sides but <laughs> i think it was a bit of a masochistic relationship but yeah there there are personalities you have to deal with in these smaller comic book shops which are beneficial when they foster, you know, a positive environment, but sometimes it could be like, Oh no, that's the creepy comic book shop. You don't go to, but it's the only one I have. So. 
We once we once we had a guest on the show, uh, Claire Napier. She's a great editor, and she came on and she talked about how she went to a you know when she was a little girl, young a young girl, she went to a comic book shop and it smelled like cat piss. They had big posters of you know scantily clad like you know uh, women characters from comics, and they I forget what exactly the comment was that was made to her, but it made her feel uncomfortable, and she never went back. How many people are there like that? who have been alienated from this industry simply by the people who are supposed to sell comics. What the hell is going on? You know, I, when we were talking about the cons of comic book shops, I was trying really, really hard not to go down this road, but you kick the door open. Oftentimes what we see is people that operate comic shops, maybe, there's some amazing entrepreneurs in the comic book world, but oftentimes this market attracts people that open comic shops because they love comics, yes. you know, and the comic book stores that we see that are successful have a strong entrepreneurial aspect to them. And to your point, Best Buy does not allow people to editorialize or a cost because you are alienating your customers. I don't care what you're buying says Best Buy, buy it so we make our money back off of it and we want to give you a pleasant enough experience that you come back. You know, again, I, I think that's one of the things that I see so much in, in at Comic-Cons and the, I think the reason I'm so successful at Comic-Cons is because of the fact that, to your point, Sean, it's a place that anyone can go and if they want to explore new comics, they can walk around Artist Alley. The aisles are wide enough. They're not going to get, you know, I mean, there's always these Carnival Barker chumps but people can walk around and browse and look at stuff and things like that but uh you're you're exactly right comic book stops uh comic shops in the direct market are oftentimes fiefdoms and you're right and so many of them have a very distinct personality whether it were the elitist cool hipster place or where the right. cat piss basement right you know uh they they what, what's fascinating about comic shops and this is a strength as much as it can be a con sometimes is they all have their own flavor. They all have their own aesthetic. They all have their own vibe. Right. And a lot of times when I'm traveling, you know, on the road, if I get time and if I'm driving, I try to find a local comic shop and go in incognito. You know, I just go in like this, a t-shirt, maybe have a baseball hat on. And suddenly people don't recognize me because I'm not that guy in the suit. And just, I love just to walk around and see what they stock. And I always try to pick something up, but it's interesting sometimes where I can be in a store for 20 minutes and no one says a word to me. Well, other times people come up and, hey, how's it going? You know, if you need anything particular, let me know, you know, and, you know, and, and things like that. It's because they're all, they're all small businesses and they all have that, that vibe. But you're right. Oftentimes more and more we get, people that that love comics and maybe believe in comics but you need to have a business mindset about this it's the comic if you're if you're running a comic book store it's the comic book business and if you're a comic book creator it's the comic book business now whether you're a guy that gets warner brothers to pay you to write about captain spandex or whether you're someone like me who does independent stories they create our own content it's still a business and you have to treat it like a business to sustain that's just how 
it works. And, and you have to have good business practices to do that. Sorry. And the thing I see is that some people don't treat it like a business as much as they treat it like an extension of their collection. Yes. Um, where it's like, I don't, did you just not have enough room in your house for comics? So you open a comic book store, you know? Right, right, right. They have no interest in selling it. Right. They just want to display it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the first comic book shop ever in existence was opened by a fan. And most of them are owned and operated by fans. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what happens is, like you guys are pointing out, it really becomes a, a lot about that person. It's not, Tyler said this earlier, it's not a monolith. Comic book sh- stores are owned by individuals, and by and large, they're not chains. So you're you're really getting whatever that person feels like putting out to you. But let's move away from, for a moment, the the negatives of the people that work at the shops. Let's just talk about how that idea could negatively impact the industry as a whole. And I think that there are some ways in which the direct market, just the way it exists, hurts the industry. So if when you look at when you look at what's trending right now in comics, it's not big two. Right? Like they're not on the up swing right now but when you go to the comic book shop that's mostly what you're going to see that's what they're pumping and again they are the person who who is most likely you're you're most you're more likely to find out about new books that you want from your comic book shop than pretty much anywhere else we already established on this podcast most people don't even seem to know what's coming out the week the books are coming out until they go to the shop even if you have a pull list, it's established. So it's whatever you bought, whatever you bought the month before, you'll get the next issue of that. Right? So how do you find out what's coming out? When I go to Midtown, the only thing they have to show me what's coming out is this long sheet. Right? And if I look at that long sheet, I'll see the new books. That's all they got for me. Or I guess previews. But I've I have been reading comics for almost twenty years. I've never in my life picked up a copy of previews. It's not something I do. Never. I'll tell you this. I'll tell. I'll shock you even more, Dirk Manning. I have <laughs> never in my life pre-ordered a comic book. Never. I have, have a you have a pull list, Sean. I don't have a pull list, and I have never pre-ordered a comic book. But what do you do if, like, they don't have the thing you want? Like, there's never been something that you are so invested in that you want to make sure they hold you a copy? I'm just asking. You're as complacent as Midtown is. <laughs> I absolutely am as complacent as Midtown is. And no, Dirk, that's never really happened. Um, this w- Well, okay, so this week, for example, I, I was, you know, we had to read the Flash for Pals Bulls, and they didn't have Flash number three. So I just didn't get it. No way. Yeah, I just, I just didn't get it. And it, it it is what it is. You went on a Wednesday to Midtown Comics, and they didn't have the Flash because of Tuesday. Yeah. Oh yeah, geez, they only <laughs> that's the wild. It's insane. Right. It's but, but insane. Now, no, but to be, and to be fair, Midtown Comics, New York City, you live in a place where, by and large, by and large, you can expect that they're right. going to have what you want. Right. Yes. Right. My, my, my experience is different. Than, that, yeah. That's very different than someone that li- that maybe has to drive 20, 30 minutes in the Midwest to the local comic shop. 
you know, uh, again, I go back to the walking number one. I'm like, you probably won't have this. Please make sure you order it. Or again, a lot of my readers, they go to a local comic shop. I know that you're not naturally inclined to get this Dirk Manning guy, but please order this book for me. That just, you know, but Midtown is a store that every time I go to New York Comic Con, I go to Midtown, I see my books there. Yeah. yeah. They order everything. But again, have, yeah. Yeah, but Flash is, a, to your point, Flash is a book that's on a major uptick right now. A lot more people are picking it up because you have to order the books three months. The Midtown has to order the books three months in advance. They didn't expect this book to blow up like it did. And by the time you get there Wednesday, sold out. I'm sure they'll get more. I'm sure they'll get more. But but what? And by the way, for for what it's worth, I am able to always get your books from Midtown. It's pretty nice. The ones that I don't buy from you directly. But um, in what other industry that you can think of? Do you have to press the the owner of the store to get what it is that you want? You don't have to go to Best Buy and tell them that they need to stock the Marvel's DVD because they're going to stock the Marvel's DVD. It is what it is. And even if you go to Best Buy and say, hey, I want this really obscure album that you would never uh, have, they wouldn't listen to you because you're one person. So the fact that that readers consumers have to put in legwork in this industry is a very very bad sign for this industry you should not have to do that the fact that that creators like dirk like even from from where dirk is at to where rom v's at right Right. they're both doing the same thing they're both going on x or twitter or facebook or whatever and saying hey please pre-order my book you would think Oh, well, Rom works at DC. Well, he doesn't have to do that. No, he definitely does. Hustle. Definitely does. Yes. Yeah, a thousand times yes. I think that's just the one of the negatives of having a niche hobby, honestly. Because like that that's the same for people who collect vinyl, you know. I worked at a Barnes and Noble and we did special orders for people because they collected CDs. You know, it was like classical music CDs, this one guy. He would uh, we would special order in like multiple copies, and he would pick out the right one that he wanted. Um, so it's it is I, I think part and parcel though with you having this very specific hobby that's a collector's hobby. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna take but, this one step farther. Books, prose novels. Do any of you here know what ninety percent, and, and the number may be a smidge off, but approximately ninety percent. Of all prose novels published, have in common, they come out through Penguin. <laughs> right, no, in theory, right? Now, approximately ninety percent of every prose novel published ever sells less than a hundred copies in the direct market. What? That's believable. Huh. It's believable. So when we talk about that need for that grind and that hustle and that promotion, that's what we're talking about. Because again, through Penguin Random House, through Lunar, through Diamond, through the comic book stores, through the direct market, I'm not selling to the customers. I'm selling to the store owners. And if a movie gets made of something I've done or my publisher decides they're going to give me a big push 
and somehow buys ad space or, or you know, whatever, or, or moves the levers that need to be moved to get store owners to invest in me, then the store owners may decide to be like a sponge and soak up more of the books that I have available. But again, ultimately, it's like you must push yourself. And that's why you see this model. I've talked about this for years. You have people that create creator own books. You know, here, here, let me tell you the, the, the schema of being a, a comic book creator. Almost every book comic creator that you ever know has followed this trajectory. Self-publish, small press, large small press, right? So they go from self-publishing, then maybe they go to like a smaller publisher. Maybe then they get picked up by like an image comics or something like that. From there, most creators will then lobby to write for one of the big two from Marvel, Marvel or DC. And for a long time, for a lot of creators, that was the end goal. That was the end game. I'm going to write Spider-Man. I'm going to write Batman. And even when they get to Marvel or DC, they started a D-list book. They moved to a C-list, a B-list, and then maybe eventually an A-list. Whether it be they're good enough or they kiss enough ass, whatever the case may be, <laughs> that's what happens, right? Then what we've seen happen is those creators jump from Marvel and DC back to creator-owned, and if they can take 25% of that built-in market they've got, not only in readership, but from store owners, their creator-owned books are now infinitely more successful. Yeah. That's the trajectory you see over and over and over again. But when you think about how that, that fits in the, in the in the direct market, I mean, that's how you game the system. That's how I get a Midtown Comics or an Oh Yeah Comics or 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 whatever, some store that maybe I don't have a direct relationship with personally to order my books. I got to become a known quantity to them. And oftentimes in the direct market, creators are only seen as worth investing in if they've written Ultimate X-Men. Mm. Make no mistake. When did Robert Kirkman blow up? It wasn't by publishing The Walking Dead. The TV show helped, but there was something in the middle. His Marvel, Marvel work. Zombies. Yeah. His Marvel work. And before it was Marvel Zombies, what was it? Sleepwalker. Yeah, he did irre Irredeemable Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they yeah. did Irredeemable Ant-Man with Phil Hester, right? You know, and up and up and up. And, and, just, and Destroyer, right? Did a couple other little things in there, too. Which were really good. Now, obviously, any creator, they get better as they go, Right. Clearly. Hopefully. However, hopefully. But I'll never forget years and years ago, I did a Comic-Con that ended up being a total dud. But Eric Powell is there. And Eric Powell is one of my all-time favorite creators. I love his books. I, I personally, professionally, really good dude. And I, the con was so dead on a Saturday afternoon, I was able to walk over to Eric's table and we were just able to chat for like an hour. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> a, bad, it was a bad scene, right? Bad scene for all of us. The fact that Eric... The fact that I didn't have business, I mean, I was like watching my tables, like, there's no one even here, it doesn't matter. I could throw a bag of hammers and not hit anybody. You know, but the fact uh, that Eric Powell didn't have business for an hour just tells you the, the show's bad. But at that point, I had felt that as a creator-owned person, I had gotten almost as big as I could based on what I was doing. And I know Eric had, had recently done, I think it was Action Comics. He did a run on uh, a Forest York on that, uh, the Bizarro story. And I remember asking him, I said, hey, man, I said, I I'm really, I told him, I said, I feel I've gotten as big as I can get with the capital I have. Online, people know who I am or they don't. 
I, I, you know, I'm one of the OGs of online comics. I, I've done all this stuff and I'm doing some Kickstarters. I'm doing well, but I need to take it to that next level. And I asked him specifically, I said, do you have any advice as another independent guy who's done this about if I want to make the leap and start writing corporate comics, mm. what do I do? Like, how do, what, 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 how should I approach this? I'm not crazy about this idea, but if I got to make that jump to get store owners in the direct market to then invest in my creator own work, what do I do? And he said something very profound. He said, if you're going to go write for corporate comic book companies, he goes, make sure you're working on titles that will then those readers will be more likely to transfer to your creator own work. And he said, here's why. I hope I'm not talking about school here. And if that's the case, Eric, and if you see this, and if you sh- if I shouldn't be saying this publicly, I apologize, but, but this was a very valuable life lesson. He said, I did a four-issue Bizarro arc on Superman with Jeff Johns, who's a, a, a direct market darling, right? <laughs> and he said, you know what I found out? People that read Superman have no interest in reading a book about a bucktooth gangster that fights zombies. <laughs> His art on that Bizarro arc was great. It was fun. It was so Eric Powell. It was, you know, and I'm sure he had fun. I imagine drawing Bizarro and stuff, but he got no discernible bump on the goon because people read this Bizarro thing. Like, oh, what else has that tall guy done? Oh, this, yeah, this isn't Superman. I'm okay. So he said, if you're going to do that and, and get more eyes on you in the direct market, make sure it's transferable, right? Which is, again, why Kirkman, it's when he did Marvel Zombies, what did people pay attention to? Oh, he does another zombie book. I'm going to check this out. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, this is really good. Da, 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 da. Oh, there's a TV show. Frank Darabont's doing it. You sure. know, but, but again, ultimately... In the direct market as an independent creator, uh, as, a, as, a, as someone that makes, makes permanent creator own stuff, you have to figure out, you have to make sure that if your ultimate goal is still to sell your creator own work, that there's that discernible connection. I learned that from Eric Powell. That was something very, very powerful. And I hope that provides some perspective from the creator side about yeah. what we do. And, and ultimately, what, the other thing I decided personally is and this is going to sound a little bit cocky and I apologize, but you know, I do okay doing it my way. I, I don't necessarily need to go enter that whole world of the corporate comic ecosystem. I've flirted with it a little bit. I've had some opportunities. Um, I'm not saying I would never do it, but I have so much time and uh, I have so much time, so much energy to put into this. And yeah, the paycheck is nice, but at the end of the day, I personally am to a point where it's going to take a certain amount of value to me to go to move away from writing tales, the next tales of mystery or the next hope or working with a Cheney estate, you know, to go do a corporately owned superhero book. I'm not saying never. Am I even, am I even shitting on it? There's some great superhero books out there, but again, it's a business mindset. It's a business mindset. What am I going to get out of this? And to be fair, what are they going to get out of it? Yeah. To that even, sorry, Sean, uh, to like, if you're to your point, if your ultimate goal is to just bounce right back into the corporate comics, can you even assure that the value you're going to bring to the book brings you back a percentage of the value you need to have made the bump worth it? Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. And ultimately, again, 
it comes down to the point, the direct market. Will store owners say, he did a really good job on that Captain X book for a while. Oh, he's now doing a book through SourcePoint Press or a book through Image or a book through whatever creator-owned Dark Horse, whatever career publisher. I'm going to check that out. Again, you have to assume that they read Captain X. They're willing to then invest in the new book through another publisher and things like that. There's all these steps. And to your point, Sean, then what happens is if you say, I really liked Dirk Manning's run on Captain X, I heard he's got a new book out through SourcePoint Press. And if you go into your comic store and they don't have it, you said it yourself. I don't get it. Now, if you're invested enough, you'll hunt it down. Maybe you'll finally, you know, ask them to order something for you <laughs> or you look online or you go to Amazon or whatever. And again, comic book stores hate Amazon. I get it. But to your point, Amazon will have it. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's how they win. That's how they win the game. And I get it. There's a whole ecosystem there of capitalism and stuff, but they have the money to do this, but it, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing. Personally, Dirk, I, I like your Captain Spandex stuff better than your Captain Next stories. But you know, it's, it's <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, I get there's people that know me for right or wrong. There's people that know me for Nightmare World. There's people that know me for my work with Twisted. You know, it's hey, man, whatever you like in mine, I appreciate that you like it. <laughs> it's it, it's funny because I actually encountered you as a uh, as an advice giver through your column. At uh, I think it was at Newsarama when I when I was hey. yeah the right or wrong book yeah, right, um, which right. it became the book um, I yeah. encountered you that way before I encountered you as a writer of comics which is so yeah. weird but yeah. I want to say this and then I want to get to the listeners because we have so many comments on this topic <laughs> you guys have been fantastic the comments are rolling in we will let you guys have your say here in a moment I also want to say. Make sure you guys are smashing that like button. We're just a few likes away from our goal to make sure that we can do a draft a little bit later. And, and also, I really, really want to do the draft. So <laughs> please hit the like button. I, I beg Sean. I said, I want to do a comic draft. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also a hero for hope.com. We're going to talk more about that with Dirk in just a moment. But I want to make this point. We've talked about the pros. We've talked about the cons of the direct market. I have a different theory. I think that the direct market is different now. I think that the direct market as we know it, what we call it, its origins no longer apply. To me, the direct market is now reaching out to fans directly as a creator, whether that's through Kickstarter, whether that's through Comic-Con events, whether that's through Facebook, whether that's through a newsletter, whatever it is, that's the new direct market. You cut out the middleman altogether, and it's you and it's your audience. And that's it. And now you don't have to worry about appeasing a shop owner who's down with Comicsgate. You don't have to worry about the fact that they're going to get your book and not know how to push it. All that stuff's out the window. The direct market was created so that the comic book publishers could have direct access to the audience. That's all it means, direct market. So now the direct market to me is creators and, and fans. That's how things have changed. That is why a Dirk Manning can do a Kickstarter and sell and have it be $15,000, $30,000 in sales, but get told no 
by Joe Schmo, who runs a comic book shop. That's why. And that, that's interesting because uh, just reflecting on my own like comics habits post pandemic, uh, I started working from home. Uh, so I, I wouldn't go to the office. I didn't have that LCS experience. And so I lost sort of keeping up with um, my weekly books outside of stuff that I, I moved to Comixology a bit more you know, frequently. And some of the stuff that I would typically pull off the stands just for extra, I, I didn't have, or I, I, I wouldn't have that opportunity as much as I would, you know, being able to look at something and then whatever, pull it, right? Um, and now uh, I've been going to conventions a bit more since they've been coming back. And that's where I've been picking up books. Because I, I, I enjoy the aspect. I like talking to a Dirk, right? Or I like talking to Dirk and creators like him. And the, those are those are the things that I want now more as a creator than to go to my LCS, pick up, you know, the issue of X-Men that we need to read either for the show or for my own pleasure. Um, it, it's, it's more interesting now to have and form the relationships with creators because they've become so accessible. There isn't a, a huge window of, or there isn't this huge like moat between us. Um, and maybe there hasn't been because conventions have always existed um, or have existed for so long. But I think now if I want to support a creator more directly, yeah, I can. It's easy. It's accessible. I mean, we talked to Bryce Gold last week, you know, head of comics at Kickstarter. Uh, comic books and board games are the most booming parts of Kickstarter. Yep. So the the want is there for sure. Yeah. People just don't want to go through the rigmarole of – all that it takes to get your hands on a comic to the point where they're wait, willing to, you know, jump on a Kickstarter where you might not even get your, your, you know, what you ordered for months. It's, it's sometimes even years. Like I, I've gotten certain things from, from uh, Kickstarters that I've been a part of. And I've been like, what even is this? When did I, when did I jump? I don't even remember getting this. Like, what is this? Not your stuff, Dirk, but you know, other, other creators, like, it comes, you know, even if it comes late, I'm like, I don't care. I wanted this. I wanted to support this person. Um, so, yeah, I just think I just think the direct market has changed. And I think that, you know, um, going to your LCS is great. You should still do that. We need to do that. Um, and I think LCSs have to reevaluate the way that they approach this business, approach it as a business. That would help. Um, but we can't solve the problem of this because every LCS is unique unto itself so I anything was, go ahead no no i was gonna say though to that point though i really you know i was given like the jazz hands and you know the to what you were saying because i think you did offer a potential solution comic book stores need to be the direct conduit to the creators and even the publishers that the people mm. want and if i know as a customer i can go in and say hey i was watching my favorite comic book uh podcast the comics pals and they had this dirk manning guy on and i would like to order something from this guy if that comic book store owner just says okay well let's look in lunar let's look in diamond whatever okay here's the books he has you know which one's that which which one do you want and they say oh i want uh let me get that tales of mystery omnibus that sounds cool i like horror stuff they say great it's this much money i'll have it for you in a week come back in a week and i'll have it for you and they can build that trust. And again, maybe the customer pays for half. Maybe they pay for it up front. And then I'll, I'll hey, hey, I'll call you when it comes in. Or I'll send you a text, you know, or whatever, you know. I think that our comic book stores to become that boutique place, like record stores used to be back in the day, 
and, and arguably like comic stores used to be back in the day and become our direct market to support books, creators, and publishers. Sean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that we can really, I think we will see stores that do that continue to thrive. The industry will grow. Creators will grow. Diversity in comics will grow. Diversity of voices will grow. And I think we'll be in a much better place because now do I love comics. I believe in comics and anyone that bets against comics and comic creators is, is foolish. We're going to be here. We're going to be here. And if someone wants to open a storefront and be a conduit to that, I think I speak for every comic creator on earth. We want to help you do it. Yes. Work together. So appreciate you saying that. Love it. And we'll leave it there for that part of the conversation, but I do want us to get to the listeners and let you guys have your, you say you guys have been amazing. Um, some love for Dirk, uh, uh, Dan and Harris both saying that. Uh, well, Dan said he used to see you at Motor City Comic Con for years, so that's really yeah. cool. Uh, Harris says Dirk was one of the best people to meet at NYCC. Thank you. Um, so that's awesome. Thank you. Um, Atomic Hound made a few great points. He said, "Can we sell them in bags and get them to buy two? to keep one mint in reference to the schemes uh, that have been, you know, going on. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a dance that uh, comic book shops and um, publishers are playing as far as variants go. But uh, um, Atomic Count also said uh, what Dirk is describing for the walking dead also benefits the LCS by creating scarcity that the LCS later capitalizes on. Hence back to prices soar. I disagreed with that one because I think that presumes that you know a book's going to pop off later. And, and I don't think we, you have the foresight initially. Like the, uh, I think it was a stronger point that Dirk, Dirk made of just, well, I don't know if this book is going to sell. Why should I stock it? Atomic Hound has a very specific and particular point of view because of the fact that I think he shared this publicly. I'm so sorry if he didn't. Um, his LCS owner benefited a lot, we'll say, from the scarcity of The Walking Dead early on. Okay. I was the only person in my town to order it. Because, again, Image was not doing well at the time, and that's why that book became a a scarcity commodity. You know? So, yeah. I, I And then I'm never going to be mad at people for making money. But, right, but it becomes an interesting... An interesting dance. We'll, we'll leave it at that. It, se it seems weird to gamble in a business that has such tiny uh, uh, margins of error. It's all it's all a gamble. I mean, it's, true. it's literally yeah, all yeah. a gamble. Yeah. We we talked last week about and we're going to talk about it again a little bit. How if you're if you're a shop owner and you miss by you ordering five extra copies than you needed to have that could be a huge problem for you. So mm -hmm. it's a gamble literally every month uh, or every week. How many copies can I actually sell? Anything you don't sell is a huge problem because no returnability. Um, living in a medium-sized U.S. city, does the monopoly some LCSs enjoy cause complacency? Yes, I think so. Um, there's just not that much competition, right? You might have one LCS within you know, an hour of you. And that's the only game in town. And that's brutal because they're going to control the market and they know that you have nowhere else to go. I wonder if they can control their audience too, in, in the sense that 
I buy a certain number of this book, and so I know that I can cater, uh, I can cater tastes because I've stocked up to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my my local comic shop again. You know, I feel bad. I was kind of throwing a little bit of mud at him earlier, but so many times over the years, he would say, "Look, you need to read this," mm. and push them in my hands. We had that relationship. I'm like, okay right on you know so again there, there is a lot of positive we have in the direct market and uh that's that's important too right that that recommendation we all know whether it be at restaurants music movies whatever it may be the strongest leverage point is peer-to-peer recommendations yeah word of mouth and, and honestly i i feel bad for our comic stores because there's so many great create our own independent comics out there right now it's hard to keep up, right? You could have a full time, you can make a full time job of just reading creator owned comics. But even then, you then can't get them oftentimes to three months later. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it gets, it gets, it gets tricky. But, but we'll, I believe in comics. I believe in our savvy, open minded, growth mindset comic book store owners to, to move the needle for us and to keep us going. Yeah. And we need it. We definitely need it. Yes, sir. We also need you guys, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, to check us out on patreon.com slash the comics pals. We are always giving you bang for your buck. We appreciate everybody that joins us over there. We've got a newsletter that goes out every single week. I talked this week about my stack of comics that are unread and uh, why it is that I cannot control myself from buying uh, just way too many comics every week. Did you show the stack? Hell no. Okay, oh, okay. come on. Look, man, it's, it's not happen. hoarding. It's not hoarding if it's books. <laughs> it's not hoarding if it's books. Dirk, you have not seen this pile. <laughs> and no said one has said. no one has seen the actual legitimate pile. But no one will. Yeah. Oh, but look, right. Are you like me though? Like, I have to have books in my house that I haven't read. It's oh. like a neurological compulsion. And I have to have a variety of books of different genres that I haven't read. Because it's like maybe if like uh, I'm done writing for the night or maybe I want to take, off, take a night off and just read. Maybe I want to read the new Dan Klaus book. Maybe I want to read this horror anthology. Maybe I want to read this. You know, I mean, so it's like I have to have several books in my house that I haven't read yet of different genres so that when I'm in the mood, I, I have the thing that I want. Inspiration will strike. I I I wish I I wish I could say there was a method to the madness, Dirk, but it's it's just I, I, I go I went to the shop this week. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna buy as many comics as I did last week. And I didn't because that because the week before that I bought 20, this week I bought 15. So I, I did a little <laughs> bit better, but it's still it's still absolutely insane. Well, you didn't get flash. Uh, no, I did yeah. not get flash. Sixteen, if that was the case, right? You got that right. I oh, and I I had to stop myself because they actually did have, um, like one of ten variants, um, for like fifteen bucks. And I was like, do I really want to spend fifteen dollars on Flash, which I don't even like? No, and I'm so glad I didn't because I wasn't even on house calls. Have the conversation with you. Yeah, well, absolutely. I always have to convince myself not to do that, but. Uh, on the Patreon page, we do have a lot on offer. So everybody who checks it, checks it out, we appreciate you guys so much. One of the things that you do get 
is a superhero nickname or villain nickname and a shout out on the show. So I want to give a special shout out to the best pals in the universe, Thunderstruck, Rebecca Alejandro, Hound of Justice, Atomic Hound, and Starcross, Catherine Stars. And I also want to say thank you to the Night Stalker, Harris Dijinsky, Brian Demolisher Del Pozo, Kefis the Incorruptible, Momentum Mike Elliott, Dan the Truth Trudeau, Joel Justice, who actually just joined us in the chat. Welcome. Jalen the Sanguine Sorcerer, Marvelous Mike and McKenzie, Marley Manistorm, Slow Flow Dameron, and Amin Almighty Perez. Thank you all so much. You are amazing, and we love you. Oh, I also want to say thank you to our channel members, our VI pals. I see those green names in the chat. If you want a green name and if you want uh, a timed exclusive access, early access to our evergreen videos that we've been putting out for our channel members every single week, then go ahead and become a VI pal today. If you want to watch this show live, you can do that every Saturday at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for pals polls. You can vote in the listener pick poll, which is up right now. Um, and, uh, you guys have got some work to do. I have to say to redeem yourselves because Last flash, week. that was bad. That Thank was you. rough. Thank you. To you guys everybody. should not don't ever listen to Mark. Sean, did you have know. time? Did you have time to, to listen? Oh yeah. Okay. I did so, listen. So you saw me turn the corner on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for four. You know what? It, the same, the minions of Marco will strike for issue four. Whatever. Uh, on the poll, which you can vote on on YouTube.com slash the Comics Pals under the community tab, we have Birds of Prey, Sacrificers, Thunderbolts, number one, mm. and uh, Batman Santa Claus for a little bit of a uh, holiday spirit. And everything else at the Comics Pals. You guys rock. So I want to spend a little bit of time now chatting with Dirk. Um, so Dirk Manning is very much a friend of ours a friend of a friend of ours for many years um has been on the show several times we've done countless comic-con interviews which you guys can check out on youtube i mean our we've probably god if you if you've taken everything we've probably done like a dozen i was gonna say i think it's about a dozen times that we've interacted uh yeah another oh there's my girl there's hope yes yes um and so let's talk about hope um hope volume one was a shocker to me because i've been a fan of dirk for well well over a decade it's been like i I probably first encountered your stuff like 15 years ago and um it was always horror Mm -hmm. so when i found hope when i read hope and it's you know i i say it's a horror book in in a certain sense but it's very much a departure in the sense that it's, you know, a woman who um, is living two lives. Yes. And it's a very interesting look at motherhood. It's a very interesting look at womanhood. And it's an interesting look at the secrets that we keep from each other and how they can impact our lives. And Dirk brings um, a lot of reality to it that I appreciated Um in the first volume and things have only gotten crazier as we've gotten deeper into the second one. So um, Dirk, can you just tell the people what it is that inspires you to want to tell the story of hope and what they can expect from hope volume two masks, which is up right now on kickstarter.com a hero for hope.com. If you want to partake. Yeah. Uh, 
And thank you. And, and I appreciate you being very transparent about the fact that when I went to go do, when I announced Hope, a lot of people that were familiar with more of my work, like Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, Love Stories to Die For, things like that, were kind of like, oh, you're selling out. And I said, you're doing a superhero comic. And I said, no, no, no. I'm not doing a superhero comic. I'm doing a comic about a superhero. Very different. Very different. In fact, uh, Jen King uh, from the XB had this great quote about the book. She said that uh, hope is to superhero comics what The Walking Dead is to zombie comics. Hmm. It's not about the zombies. It's about the, it's not about the, or about the superheroes. It's about the people. Um, and hope is a story about a, a woman named Julie Lavelle, who moonlights as a superhero. And in the first five pages of the first volume, she has to uh, reveal her secret identity to protect her family during a car accident, during the car accident. And the book and the story is about everything that happens from that moment forward. This is a very dramatic book. It's a very emotionally investing book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know a lot of people say this about their work, but I but I think anyone that read the book can tell you this is a book truly unlike any other, I think, in the the, the genre of superheroics. In all of Hope Volume 1, you never see Hope in costume punch a supervillain. Hmm. It, 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 that's not what the book's about. You know, technically someone gets hit with a chair, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but this is just, just a, a fair, fair warning, fair notice. This is not a traditional superhero comic. It's a comic about a woman who's a superhero. And what motivated me, uh, what motivated me to write this book is, I mean, there's several, there's several themes. Uh, I'm going to give a very minor spoiler. Um, and again, this is all within the first issue of the first volume. At the end of the first issue, the first chapter of Hope Volume 1, which again, if people are new to the book, I encourage you to go to heroforhope.com. Uh, you can pledge a damn new here too, pledge level. You can get Volume 1, the special edition, trade paperback Volume 1, and the Kickstarter exclusive hardcover edition of Volume 2 with the seven stretch goals we've unlocked. Double signed by me and the artist. You get a remark sketch. You get a variant cover on the book. You get a bookmark. You get a all kinds of cool stuff. That being said, the end of the first chapter of the first volume which a lot of you may have gotten a free comic book day a couple years back uh julie's family was in a car accident she's had to reveal her secret identity as hope to say to help protect them her husband's in a coma and the very end of the first chapter children's services comes away and takes her daughter that's the type of stuff we're dealing with in this book and not to give again too much away, but I think a theme that comes up in Hope is would they have taken Hope's daughter away if she was a man? Mm. If this was a guy, superhero, who got outed and his wife ended up being in a coma in a car accident, would they have taken away his daughter or even his son? If it was a son. The tagline, the through line on hope internally when I write the book is that not all villains can be punched. Right. Oftentimes superhero books. And again, some of my favorite comics are superhero books. I love Invincible. I love the boys. Right. Uh, and I've loved them both before they were TV shows, <laughs> you know, for the record. Um, 
there's some amazing runs on some superhero books out there. Um, but this is not a book that ex that treads the same ground that most books about superheroes treads. This is not about who's stronger, who's faster, and how am I going to DSX Machina my way out of this? This is about a woman who's navigating a very complex system, and she's a very strong and proud and complex character um, because she has chosen not to register, which is not illegal. In, in the world of a hope, uh, people who have superpowers have the option to register, and they get the perks of being a registered superhero. Julie decided early on she didn't want to do that. Her husband didn't know she was a superhero. Her daughter didn't know she had superpowers. She's one of the people that got them, and she decided to keep it private. And over time, she decided, you know, I'm going to go out and just be a good Samaritan. I'm going to help. I'm going to help people out. You know, cats and trees type of stuff. You know, oh, there's a traffic jam. There's ambulance stuck in the traffic jam. She's going to go get the ambulance to the hospital. Um, and this is a story about what happens and what she has to deal with not being registered, not meeting societal expectations of what she should be doing as a wife, as a mother even as a superhero and her navigating that there's a point in volume one, when her friend, a friend of hers, who's also an ultra, uh, which is kind of our term for superheroes in the, in the hope, uh, Helena boy says to her and someone else says to her, you know, if you just registered, things would probably be a lot easier moving forward. And she goes, I shouldn't have to, I don't want to, I shouldn't have to, you know, and, and that, you know, and again, there, there's times in the book where you always want to scream at her, like, but she's a person of principle, right? Yeah. Um, one of the driving, and I want to say this too, and I've said this in other interviews about hope, but I think it's very important to say, especially in our current climate and culture. I am a, for those of you that are only hearing this, I am a middle-aged white guy. I'm not a woman. And I'm not writing about the women, a woman, the 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 experience of being a woman. But I am writing about a woman having an experience. And I have seen friends and I've seen family members and loved ones who are women have very different experiences in the very same setting that I did as a middle-aged white guy or even a young white guy. And that is part of the story. But the bigger part of the story is here's a character. She's had her secret, her superhero identity revealed to the world. Volume one is largely about her dealing with the, ramif the immediate ramifications of that, including children's services taking her daughter. Volume two, which is now on Kickstarter. Now the supervillains are amassing against her because her identity is public. They know who she is. They know she has a family. They know she, you know, all this stuff about her. And now, not only is she being tried in the court of literally the legal courts and the court of public opinion, now the supervillains are coming in at her. And that's where we start volume two. Uh, for people that have read volume one, and to your point, Sean, kind of had that, that holy crap moment at the end of volume one, volume two picks up immediately where volume one left off. And again, you go to heroforhope.com or you go to Kickstarter, just type in hope, then number two, you'll find the campaign. Um, we have a bundled package. I'm new here too. You can get the whole series to date. If you just want to jump into volume two, you can do that. We have digital copies of volume one and volume two. You can get both of those as well for those of you who are digital readers. And at the end of the day, as I do with any Kickstarter, the more people that pledge, the more stuff everybody gets. We're, we're sitting close to below, uh, I think, $13,000 as we speak. 
Uh, we got about six days left to campaign and next Friday. And I just encourage people, if you're looking for an accessible book, uh, you're looking for a book that's emotionally resonant, you want to support independent comic creators and get a really good book that you can jump in on, still pretty much at the ground floor, uh, hope's the book for you. Love it. Uh, I, I recommend it. I, I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, volume one really knocked me off my feet um, just because of how different it was. So I definitely recommend that you guys go to a hero for hope.com and give it a look. Um, I really, really think you'll find a lot to like, and you should probably get volume one and two just because, you know, why not? And it's so early on that you really can just jump in and, you know, catch up easily. Um, so yeah, yeah go for it. And uh, we've got the link in the chat. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can absolutely uh, just click that link and you will be taken directly to the Kickstarter page. Thank you. And yeah, yeah. And again, this is a book that, that again, is very accessible. You don't need a ton of backstory. You can jump in and enjoy it. Um, you made the point earlier about someone going to the comic shops with, you know, scantily clad women. Um, th this is not a book where you're going to see a lot of TNA. <laughs> You know, as well. One thing that's been so powerful to me, and, and again, I'm going to say something vulnerable. When I set up at shows and I have Hope Volume 1 on my table, um, it blew me away the number of times women would come to my table and it walked right to the table and grab this book and like kind of like look through it, right? And just say, uh, how much is this? I tell them the price, you know, 20 bucks. I said, this is a book about, and I, and I tell you, give them the quick pitch. They go, okay, here you go. Non-sexualized female characters, right? You know, uh, all, again, I'm not trying to have an agenda here or anything like that, but it was something that really showed me how much some readers are starved for that. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with being sexy. Not at all, man. And I have a ton of respect for Brian Polito who is known for a lot of his very, you know, hyper-sexualized books and stuff like that. Fun fact, when I was just getting started self-publishing, Brian Polito wrote an introduction to one of my earliest books, right? I can't say that I'm necessarily a super fan of all that type of stuff, but for what it is, it's awesome, and I got a lot of respect for him. So I'm not trying to make Hope look better by making something else look less than but I'm just saying as well, this is a book that if you have people in your life that really want to read a book that maybe would have like a non-sexualized female lead character, woman lead character, here's another option for you too. But also for men, that's the other thing. It felt like I was quite swimming upstream with this book because one, people mainly knew me for horror. And I tell people, hope is the scariest book I write. This is a scary book. It really is. Two, it's about a a uh, woman lead character. So a lot of times I think a lot of male readers kind of initially kind of push back on that a little bit. Uh, and then three, obviously, you know, you know, being a being a superhero book. Um, maybe I mentioned that one already. Sorry, it's early in the morning. But you know, <laughs> uh, but this was just this was a little bit of a different of a different sell. But the reaction that people have had to hope has been incredibly positive. People really, really dig it. And again, if you're looking for something accessible, easy to read, jump into. Then again, this book will get you in the feels. I promise you, this book is going to gut punch you. And it's going to gut punch you a lot. In volume two, I'll just say this. The end of volume one was a huge holy crap moment. 
the ending of volume two, I think is even stronger. Beautiful. Love it. A hero for hope.com. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to get to that point. So I'll definitely be keeping reading. You guys should check it out too. Thank we you. have a lot of show to do still somehow. And Dirk's <laughs> going to hang out with us. Yeah. So thank you. In order for us to make the draft and make everything happen, we need to roll along. Um, and I want to I want to roll right into a new segment. We're debuting a segment right now. So we have done this is the three hundred and seventy second episode of the Comics Pals, which oh, is insane, right? Amazing. Congratulations! Thank you so much. And I've been and... here for all of them. <laughs> Day one. <laughs> oh gee. Uh, shit, I, even I haven't been here for all of them. I wish I could say that. Um, maybe one day we'll have to look at a counter to see how many episodes uh, we've each missed. And I think that the person who will be uh, number one in the missed episodes category is the person who is not currently here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I had the thought, hey, I wonder what was happening in comics. What What comic books that hit that same milestone, because it is a milestone, 372. What was happening in those comic books oh. at that time? And so I picked out one I thought was pretty interesting. Thor, Volume 1, number 372. Whoa. Yes, Whoa. indeed. And this is a really interesting issue of Thor. Uh, so this, this issue of Thor is from the Walt Simonson run, a legendary runs so it's got him and uh pencils by Sal Buscema uh and um this issue features the TVA no the way. time variance authority oh. which of course people will know from Loki doesn't yeah. really pop up in the comics too much but it just so happens that this issue of Thor features the TVA and uh the particular representatives of the TVA are Justice Peace which is a phenomenal name. I have no idea who that is. And, although the character looks like Peacemaker. Um, yeah, it's like yeah. Peacemaker mixed with Orion. Yeah. Right, that's exactly what I was looking at, right. Um, and then there's Justice Mills as well. But I, what what I want to do is, so I'm on fandom.com, um, and they've got the breakdown of the episode, or of the issue, rather. And I need to read this. I need to do it. So the episode, the issue is called Without Justice, There is No Peace. And this is the synopsis. Mm. Thug has become the new Zaniac and goes to kill Jane Foster. In Chicago, Justice Peace arrives to find he is too late. Thor is right behind him, though, and strikes him down. Justice Peace finally has no choice and tells Thor his story. Thor realizes that Jane is now the Zaniac's target, but Mick and Kevin wake up. Before they can see their mother's dead body, Thor takes them and puts them back to bed and causes them to fall into a deep sleep. Thor and Justice Peace then race to Highland Park, Chicago, but they are too late again. Jane Foster is dead, but one slim hope remains. If there is enough temporal enchantment left in Mjolnir, he can recharge Hopsicle and travel back in time a couple of hours when before Zaniac arrived. They arrive before Thug became the new Zaniac and kill all the vermin, but Thug dies of a heart attack anyway. What? <laughs> Thor places his body on a park bench, so he will appear to be just another vagrant that didn't survive the night. 
Holy shit. What? What? Just, Justice Peace returns to the future while Thor checks on Jane. Thor then takes Mick and Kevin to Asgard since they have no other family. There, they're adopted by Volstagg into his own family. Elsewhere, Hela prepares to strike at Thor in revenge for his humiliating defeat of her. So, so we talk about the difference between compressed and decompressed comics. <laughs> this is one issue. Holy right. shit! Yeah, that Ooh. would be a six, that would be a six issue story arc for some writers nowadays. Yeah. But that, that's where that man just go 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 all that stuff happening. Right. So this is this is nineteen eighty six. Okay, and I said Thug, Zaniac, Mick, and Kevin. Who the fuck is any of those people? So Zaniac, Mick and Kevin. Zaniac is uh, in the Loki show too. The Who? so in it's the it's the name of the movie that that one TVA agent when he like leaves oh, he becomes shit. the Zaniac in the movie. Yo, good eye, good eye. Wow. Great. I know the name because I just think of pro wrestling. Like Zaniacs <laughs> is a <Right>. thing. Right. <laughs> Uh, Sean, apparently this is the first appearance of the TVA. Ah. This is probably a hot collector's item right now, then. Ooh, good pick. Good pick. Look at that. People are scouring eBay at this very moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go grab your copies of Thor. And and you know, like, this this book is, like, sitting at comic shops, you know, whether it be the boutique one or the campus one, like, in a dollar bin somewhere. Right. Yeah. You know. Hilarious. Um... Tyler, maybe your grandmother is bidding on this on eBay right now? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Actually, uh, my, my friend, uh, they just found a whole stack of comics uh, outside being thrown out in Brooklyn uh, and gave me some oh. of them. And it's the original Secret Wars. So, Wow. It, the keys are missing, though, obviously. But uh, it's still cool to have. Still. Since this is the first time we're doing this, I wanted to do one more. And it's Avengers number 372. Ooh. So this one was released in uh, January of 1994. This is by Bob Harris with pencils by Steve Epting, if you can believe that. And I wanted to shout this out particularly because this is probably the craziest lineup for the Avengers that I've ever seen. It's it's very different. And so the roster for the Avengers in this particular issue is Black Knight. Okay. Okay. All right. Black Black Widow. Captain America. I thought you were going to say Black Panther. No, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there, there's no one thing this okay. team does not have is diversity. Okay. Um, the only the, the diversity on this team is actually Vision. They got a robot, so. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Sorry, I apologize. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> Crystal Maximoff, who I believe is the Inhuman Crystal when she was with Quicksilver. Um, Giant Man. Hercules, Cersei. The aforementioned Vision and Quicksilver. Huh. Hmm. Yo, this cover kicks ass. Yeah, this is a crazy cool cover. Uh, the way it's colored is so good. Um, yeah. It's funny. Uh, Hasbro just released as part of the Avengers 60th anniversary this year. They released a two pack of this Black Knight and this Cersei. Oh wow! Um, that is, oh. It, and this is like lightsaber Black Knight too, where he had an energy sword. Yeah, yeah. I love this Avengers lineup. This is one of my favorite obscure Avengers lineups. I knew that, and that's why I wanted to <laughs> shout this out because I knew you would love this. It's everyone has a leather jacket. It's great. 
Right, right, right. This one, Thor was Thunderstrike too, right? <laughs> oh wow, that's that's a yeah, that's a deep cut. That is a throwback. Like I said, I was I was kind of I, I want to think I was poo pooing corporate comments earlier. I am a fan. And I get yeah, right, you know. It's like if I get AD, I can throw a Thunderstrike reference is a good one. Yeah, that's that is. Whew, you would win uh, trivia games with that kind of with that kind of reference. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think of this segment, and if you find before I do a great three seventy three that we should talk about, we'll do it next week. We'll do we'll do three seventy three next week, and if it works, we'll keep it going. Uh, Dan says the nineties featured on odd lineups of the Avengers and the Justice League. Yes, I am learning that. I am learning that. I would not read an Avengers book with this lineup in it, but it's fun to talk about. I would might I might even buy a physical copy of this lineup showed up again. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the cover. All right. What is, quick question. Cool yeah, what what is. form of clothing would be around in an Avengers lineup now that would be universal throughout all of it? Leather jackets was the nineties. What would be now? Like leggings. Clogs. Just crocs. Oh, Everyone's wearing pants. crocs. Yep. Pants. <laughs> pants where their name is across the butt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Introducing the new yes. the new Avenger, Juicy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Imagine hey, the hey, Avengers. Hey, hey, I, I know we're on time limit, but real quick, you uh, tell you talk about this cover. I learned one of the coolest things about covers during my time at Image Comics with Jim Valentino, and he talked about what makes a great cover. Is he goes, take the image. He goes, then put it on a shelf. He goes, and walk 15 feet away from it. And can you tell what's going on? Mm, right? mm. Or he said, look at a thumbnail on your computer. He said, because when you're at a comic shop, that's all you're going to see is like this wall, and you'll see him from far away. And this cover with Black Knight being in the foreground like that, with the blues and things like that, with the yellow explosion in the background, before you even get in to all the other secondary tertiary characters in there, it's a very dynamic cover that even shrunk down, even seeing that on a shelf, that is something that you will go immediately to. It's a lot of secondary colors too. You're like, right. like right. in right. the, the the bright neon pink of the ambushed on it. And, uh, and think about Image Comics at the time too. I think of like Savage Dragons, you know, number one. That's like all neon yeah. colors there. You know, a green dude yeah. coming out on the, the yellow orange background. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, Hendrick Perry, one of our beautiful VI pals, asks anyone remember the lineup for Avengers United They Stand, a cartoon from the early 2000s? I don't. Yeah. It was like Hawkeye. It, it was, was Ant-Man uh, in a mech. Yes. Right. <laughs> it had a very blocky animation, too. Everyone was just... It was like it was like that kind of faux Bruce Tim style where everyone was kind of like square. Mm. Damn, if I it's what I'm thinking of, I better... I better I better not stretch my geek. Yeah, right. the rest were uh, Scarlet Witch, Tigra, Wasp, Falcon, Wonder Man, and Vision. Oh, shit. I yeah. do remember uh, specifically not watching it because I did not like the roster. Yes, absolutely. You said no to a Tigra roster? Man, oh, hell yeah. modern Especially, day Sean I mean, would make a different choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know about that at the time. Um, Atomic Hound says, uh, love this segment, although I was distracted ordering Hope Volumes 1 and 2 over on Kickstarter. Oh, hey. thank you so much. That's awesome. Hey, there it is. Hey, pay hey, attention hey. to the show. No, I'm joking. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right? Hey, I'll, I'll take a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Why um, you but... Kickstarter is quick and easy and direct support. Yeah. Right. 
exactly. And 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 to answer your question, Atomic Hound, yes, any era is fair game. Uh, absolutely. If you guys have a 373, that's just I don't care if it's from The Walking Dead, it could be anything. Um, although I guess they didn't get that far, but if it got that far, it's fair game. Absolutely. Uh, let's dive into the news. We've got some news to cover. And one of the biggest talking points this week has been Avengers Inc., which is the recent um the recent Al Ewing Leonard Kirk Avengers book. Um, it just launched in September, which is crazy. Um, and it appears to be canceled. There goes the issue with that three months window. <laughs> Alrighty. So. Yep. And so uh Tom Brevoort was actually asked about this on his Substack. Uh quote, is Avengers Inc. over with number five? I've been enjoying it so far. And the answer he gave was quote, unfortunately, Cathal, there aren't enough people like you. So we will be wrapping up the series with issue five. It's tough. So a book launches in September, right? From Al Ewing, one of the hottest creators in comics, doing some of the best work in comics. And by December, uh, or rather, excuse me, by January, we will be experiencing the last issue due to cancellation. And think about what Dirk said. Stores are ordering three months in advance these books so this book was actually cancelled or the orders were low enough that it deserved cancellation months ago months ago by issue three they would have been like oh this doesn't look good but but they wouldn't have gotten the numbers until September until October so that means that they that's not how it works, buddy, because this, the, the publishers are selling to the stores. Remember that. Right. So right. if the stores aren't ordering it from the jump, it's screwed. Yeah. The yeah. book didn't have a chance. Hmm. This, the way books are canceled now, we would never have Next Wave. You know, right. cult classics would not exist. Um, That's tough, man. Because then the, right. all you're left is with, you know, more X-Men books, you know. Another Spider-Man book. Because I'm enjoying this. I'm actually reading this too, and it's good. It's alluring. You can't. It's hard not to be good. But I'm I'm torn here because on one side, part of me wants to say if Marvel wanted to keep this book going to let it find its legs, it could. On the other side, we know that the margin is slim and times are tough for everyone right now. But the fact that you have Al Ewing, who really kind of broke through on, you know, Immortal Hulk and has seen now people are, like you said, John, very hot commodity as a writer. And even looking at this 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 cover, right, you know, he, Moon Knight on here, everything else. I, I'm just crinkling my nose at this whole scenario, right? It's like, I don't know. I don't want to be a conspiracy guy. Uh, but I wonder if low sales, all I'll say is this, I'm curious, morbidly curious if low sales were really the factor in this book ending at issue five. All I'm going to say, all I'm going to say, I mean, I, I, I'm just, 
I, I don't know. And again, here's the issue now that we're facing in the industry. It's very hard to get numbers now on what books are truly selling yeah. because of the, the, the value of multiple distributors. But again, it's getting trickier and trickier to tell who's ordering what. But it's interesting. That's very interesting that that book has been canceled so quickly. That's all that the quote for us, Gump. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, I, I have a little more to say about it. And I want to use, I'm going to use Milton Grepp, who is the co founder of Capital City Distribution, uh, Next Planet Over, and ICV2, who we reference a lot. And Milton is a probably one of the most knowledgeable people about comics that is alive right now. Um, and this is what he said. In, and, and this is sort of in reference to the Phil Boyle thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but this is what he said, and it ties into what we're talking about right now. I think, quote, I think there's a very general reason why Marvel's and DC's books aren't selling. They aren't very good. I had a rule when I was in distribution, and it was, quote, good is as good sells. That means the definition of a good product is that when you expose it to an audience, it sells. That's not happening with Marvel and DCs. So by definition, they're not very good. The why is the bigger question with a lot of theories. First of all, it's hard to produce great comics or any kind of great entertainment. If it were easy, they'd all be great and we'd all be rich. There are periods when the industry is on fire with creativity pouring out of every pore. At other times, even though everybody's trying, the results are poor. So one theory is that we're just in a weak period creatively for reasons that we'll never understand. Another theory is that people are getting their superhero fix from big budget movies and TV shows and have superhero fatigue. They're just sick of the genre or they don't want any more than what they can get on a screen. I suspect there's more to it than the answers either of those theories provide. The talent migration away from the big two has been dramatic over the last decade related to the compensation and rights with the situation now in a spiral in which lower sales produce lower compensation for comic creators, which causes good talent to leave, which lowers sales, and so on. That is an Ouroboros snake that he just described, eating itself. But the reason I brought this up is because he said, one of the foremost knowledgeable people about comics, said, good is as good sells. Is this a good comic? Does Avengers Inc. earn its place on the shelf by simply being quote-unquote good? Because Tyler said it's good. I don't know. I'm not reading it. Why am I not reading it? Because it feels ancillary. And I don't have the ability. Well, I mean, I, I guess I clearly do because I do it every week. But I don't want to buy books that feel ancillary. So I don't buy it. First issue was solid. I don't buy it. Is good what sells? Is this book not good because it doesn't sell? I mean, can people afford it is another, I think, consideration. If if you have, like, it is good worth me uh, investing in the book in, in the sense that I'm, I'm going to invest the, the money and the time to pick it up. And um, if you're somebody who's, you know, maybe tighter on budget, they it, there's not enough opportunity to get a good book out there um if 
if you're and, and I've, I've had to do this recently of just considering what I'm buying, because weekly books are it, if you get up to a certain amount, it gets really expensive you know, to do every single week. And I don't have the additional opportunity that I potentially once did to just try out a book. And maybe somebody didn't catch on on issue one that somebody could have to have decided. And I don't know that an individual is going to make or break whether or not this is um, getting canceled. But I think if you have enough of those people and enough of an opportunity, then I think there's a chance that books like these that are maybe a bit more ancillary that uh, something like the the Jean Grey solo uh, solo mini as well that, that's been coming out. There's a lot of examples of these that feel extra and that feel like I don't need to grab this because it's not the thing that I've been following continuously. Um, ancillary, I think you can have a good ancillary book, um, but I think it comes down to whether or not you have the means to just add it to your pull list. Your point, Marco, is good enough. Yeah. Right? You know, a lot of good stuff out there. A lot of good stuff out there right now. But is good enough? I was talking about this with hope. Uh, hope is good, but it's also emotionally investing. There's reasons, you know, and there's big themes here we're exploring, and it's accessible. But we live right now in an industry with an embarrassment of riches, of good books. I would argue that most books being put out right now are good. Yep. Is good enough. There's your topic for next week. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I have issues saying is, can a comic not, is it good if it doesn't sell? Because I think there's like an art versus sales of art that's uh, in Absolutely. my head. But is good enough is, a, I think, a good way of putting it. Yeah. Is, is it is Even though it's good, does that justify its existence? I don't know. And that and that is the problem that I think I, I think the big two have it, but I also think it's a wider issue in comics where it's like I don't I just don't feel like there's enough curation. I don't feel like there's enough respect for the market. Avengers Inc. may be a great book, and maybe a year ago or two years ago would have been a great time to launch it, right? The industry is softer now than it was a year or two ago. And so, you know. Everybody loves what Al is doing on Immortal Thor, right? But is Avengers Inc. what we need? Probably not. And the numbers are reflecting that. So is it good? Maybe. Is it good enough? Clearly not. Because if it was, people would buy it. I myself love everything Al does. Um, but I just don't have a need for this. It is what it is. You know, I don't buy every single Scott Snyder book. I love Scott Snyder. I don't need to. You know, there's so many comics. It's too much. Too much. I'm going I'm, I'm to push back on the idea that if it's good, it sells because there's plenty of books that are good that don't probably sell what they should. Sure. Because again, Tyler's point, marketing. There's a whole different beast there. A whole different thing. And there's plenty of books that are not to the level of quality of others that sell infinitely more because of the marketing behind them. So... I'm just putting that out there as well, you know. And again, I I, I admitted this earlier in this very episode. I used to suffer that privilege, that 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 same that same belief, you know, the feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. If it's good, they will find it. Kind of, but that doesn't mean that the level of quality of the book is always going to, in and of itself, be proportional to the sales of it. 
That's why we have cult classics, that we have underground books and things like that, you know. So um that's why just just tossing that out there as well. No, I I think that that is worth uh pointing out. Um I, I myself thought it was interesting that Milton said that, given how connected he is to the sales of comics and identifying um what sells and what doesn't sell. Um but I I, I think I think there's a lesson there that the big two in particular need to learn. Um, and it and it it might mean less work for creators. It might mean, all right, so we don't publish every single idea that we might have. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe instead of having Avengers Inc., which then just gets canceled, you could pay Al and the team more for Immortal Hulk and put more money behind the marketing of that, and that can sell better. Um I don't know. Consider why Marvel is making comics too. Why is Marvel, which is probably in the scheme of things, Marvel Comics probably close to a loss leader in regards to the amount of stuff they put out versus the money they're bringing back in? Okay. It's IP development. Now that IP exists in Marvel's library forever, who would have known that Thor 373, the first appearance of the TBA, would become the staple of a Disney Plus show how many years later, right? right. Okay. A lot of it's IP development. And and, and, the, and when you're writing corporate comics, that's what you're looking at. It's IP development. They gave Al Ewing, and, and who's the artist on this one? Leonard Kirk. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Great artist, right? Yeah. Gave him five issues. Throw an idea out there. We'll see what happens. Now they own it forever. Mm. 20 years from now, you might see in a story arc of Moon Knight Season 8, or whatever, or Marvel Phase 15, Avengers Incorporated pop-up, right? They now they now own that idea from a really good writer and a really good artist forever. You are absolutely right, but I think what Atomic Hound said just now in the chat um, is exemplary of the problem with that. Marvel has hunted their most devoted fans to extinction. You could probably mm. substitute DC in there. This is a confidence killer. I don't want to invest in books that get canceled. I don't want to have to question, okay, so if I start buying this, is it going to get canceled because it's a lower tier title? You know, am I going to, is my investment going to be, you know, uh, uh, validated by the continuing publishing of this book? And if it's not, Am I wasting my time jumping in? I think that 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 is something that severely, significantly hurts confidence. We've seen Marvel and DC play this game of, you know, and more so Marvel, not saying whether something is a mini or not to see if it if it strikes. And if it strikes, they just keep publishing it. And if it doesn't, it's gone by issue five. That is not good. What's that joke with the Transformers comic issue 120 of a four issue limited series, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. No, but I but I think that point is very valid about hunting to extinction, right? We mm. need to be very careful. And you know, my my own uh who I work with publisher now, Source Point Press, is going through a major overhaul in regards to the support and the strength and the conditions of the direct market about revamping to do I want to say fewer better, but more focused. We want to focus on putting out lesser titles and giving them the time and space they deserve to be out there. 
Man. And to support and to promote them and to make sure the, the, the label of source paper has value and has identity so that people know what they're getting. Um, yeah, there's again, there's a lot of layers to this. And it just, wow, man, five issues and out. Rough. I, I, I just, I find that, I find that very interesting. I think the the thing that you said there, loss leaders, uh, interesting because I, I I do believe that many of these companies are working at, at at a deficit, if not on the cusp. And that focusing that you mentioned of source point press, I think is it makes a lot of sense because it's long term thinking, whereas the publication of an uh, Avengers Inc is short term. It is I'm gonna get these short term sales. And then decide whether or not it warrants the longevity of keeping around. And if not, cool. I, I'm I'm comfortable to axe it because well, I didn't need those short short term. Uh, I didn't really need those short term gains. It was a way to bolster. Maybe uh, you're still at that loss, but at the very least, you're 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 making a little bit more uh, return to whatever degree. And it, it doesn't have the longevity of planning for. Uh, an event or for planning for the books that you currently have to really bring audiences or the audience you already have locked in to make them care about the stuff that's currently going on so they can buy more of that. Right. I, um, again, it's not often you guys have a comic creator on you with the whole show here. Again, I'm going to be very transparent with you. Hope volume two, we put out the first two issues in comic shops. Uh, I've worked with artist Sally Scott. And I feel bad I didn't give full credit like I should have to my creative team on Hope. Sally Scott, the illustrator, I've worked with her on several smaller things. This is her first long-form project. Dave Lentz lettering it. Drina Joe, again, a friend of the show, one of the best freelance editors in the business. Oh, yeah. We were doing Hope Volume 2 as a four-issue limited series. Then we're going to do the trade paperback. We released the first two issues in stores. And I cut publication. We cut, me and SourcePoint agreed, cut publication on the next two issues. My next series scheduled to come out after that, Homestead, Werewolf Western. People are super stoked about it. Uh, Les Garner, who did Apocalypse Girl, just did some stuff with Rich Davis on the, the Rain Dracula universe. Again, Dave Lentz editing, Colin Jungle coloring, Green Joe editing, Our House team, a book. People were super excited to get the Dirk Manning Werewolf Western book. We canceled all four issues and we're going right to the trade paperback and the, and the right to the original graphic novel on Kickstarter next year instead. Because of the loss leader mentality, this is a business. And when I go to Sally and I go a uh, Sally, especially on hope, or when I go to less on Homestead and I say, look, we're publishing these issues. Do we want the vanity of the single issue on the shelf? Or do you want the money that we'll get instead from the collected edition? Because right now, again, going back to our conversation earlier, the direct market is really struggling right now. And they're having a very difficult time supporting independent creator-owned comics that are not from the big, the big two, the big four publishers. Right. So that loss leader thing, Marco, is very real. And it's very, very real. And again, Hope is a book that the first issue of Hope Volume 1 was the free comic book day book for Sourcepoint Press, first admitted free comic book day. The book had a lot of exposure, but we go back to that business aspect and the direct market and the idea of canceling something early. I knew we'd put out Hope. I believe in Sally. I believe in Dave. I believe in Joe. With Homestead, I believe in Les. I believe in myself. 
but we had to adapt and evolve yep. what we were doing because unlike a Marvel comics, unlike a DC comics, I can't absorb the hit of putting out issues and then losing money just to print it. Mm. I just can't. And it's not fair to my team, right? It's not fair to Sally say, hey, we're going to, well, well, let me rephrase that. We had to have the discussion. How much do you want to put these issues out knowing it's going to affect the money you're going to make long-term on this project, right? That's what, But then, then again, we turn around on Kickstarter and release hope. And now rather than operating a deficit, we have six days left. We're closing on thirteen thousand dollars in pre-sales. Oh yeah. Again, yeah. go full circle, right? It's not that I want to support the direct market. I do, but you know, we we have to make choices that are financially viable to ourselves. And that's again, I keep coming back to this thing with Avengers Inc. It's so interesting to me. Known writer, hot writer, known artist publicly known Hollywood franchise and then you cancel after five issues. That's interesting. Maybe it is the numbers. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the whole thing is fascinating to me. But I think like to, to your point, if they were going to continue to invest in the IP, that would be a solution. Hey, we're canceling the the book, but we're actually, we're going to continue this with uh, a, you know, a, the finished collection that collects all six issues that we would have published and you know he's going to get a, a second volume there because that's long-term thinking that is understanding that you have a loss you're you're working and operating as a business and you're trying to find some sort of solution to be able to maintain the potential audience that you locked in with the book or give an opportunity to the audience that you have at large to test it out in a more controlled environment a more price-friendly environment uh, and allow them the the opportunity to to just try it out and minimize the risk because right. I, I really got to move it forward. Yeah, yeah, Can't yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It's um, good stuff, Dirk. It's good stuff. Yeah, no, sorry. No, what happens? You bring out a writer, we just start talking forever. Sorry. Next subject. Sorry, I apologize. So, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you heard this. I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, but it happened. A woman has come forward. And admitted that seeing kissing in a comic book led to a debilitating addiction to pornography. Whoa. I mean, listen. Same. (laughs) So, Lana Burkhardt, a 20-year-old woman out of Texas... Uh, appeared in front of the school board for Conroe Independent School District in Texas. Mm-hmm. And she told the board that when she was 11 years old, she read Raina Telgemeier's, um, Raina Telgemeier's drama uh-huh. and saw a kiss in the book that led to her um that led to her addiction a debilitating addiction and that it was the single kiss that quote led her to look for other books that gave me pleasure led to quote internet searches that she will never forget by the time she was 13 she says that she was 
Uh, her porn addiction had made her depressed and suicidal. And so she is now asking, based on this, for them to remove books of this nature, graphic novels, comic books of this nature, from uh, the school board, from the school system, from the from schools, from libraries. Now, Tyler, I don't know if you have the actual kiss, but it is. I, I don't. I didn't want to get our, our viewers addicted to porn any more than I, they probably already are. <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, it is absolutely not anything that would offend anybody. It's probably a this peck, a, right? I mean, it's a no, it's a normal. It's a kiss. It's a nice kiss. It's like but, any if you watch any Disney movie, right? You see a kiss. Innocuous. Yeah. God forbid. God forbid that a child witness a same sex kiss. Is it same sex? I thought it was. Uh, well, it... There, there, there is there is a there are layers and layers to oh, this. Okay, okay, okay. Because this woman is an activist. What kind of activist is she? Well. She's an activist who wants to make sure that an organization that she works for, Skytree Book Fairs, has a little bit more market share. No way. And they're marketing themselves as, quote, an alternative to the sexually explicit content distributed in Scholastic's book fairs. This is a conservative plant. Yeah. Yeah. What? So that yes. little debilitating addiction that she talked about, I mean, maybe she had it, maybe she didn't. I don't think this kiss led to that. Any more than I think that watching Cinderella or Moana or any other Disney movie leads to people, you know, becoming debilitatingly addicted to pornography. This is the biggest I bullshit I've I... read in a long time. Well, I mean, Cinderella, Tyler and Fee, right? Well, hey now, hey now, hey now. I mean that 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 true love's first kiss in, in Snow White. It, there's a clear line between that and all of my OnlyFans purchases. I think if we line it up correctly, it's <laughs> clear delineation. I, I wouldn't have gone there, but uh, you know, okay. Uh, that's wild. Um, uh, it it's not though. Like this is the same brazen, kind of bullshit that we see in all like. Uh, we're under attack. Why is it? Why is it always Texas? Like I know Kale's not here because he you is know why. in Texas. <laughs> All right. Look, look. Hey, I know we're short on time, so let me make this. If I may, take the liberty of making this one very simple. Eleven adults in the United States are responsible for sixty percent of the book bans and libraries. Thank you. What? Thank you. I'll say it loud over the mic. Eleven people are responsible for 60% of the book bannings. Damn. Man, get those guys on a, a comic book marketing gig instead. Jeez. <laughs> comic Comics Beat did a great did great a great job reporting on this issue and in their article they said, quote, drama, a charming story about putting on a play at a middle school has long been one of the most banned books in America even before the current wave of challenges and attacks on the First Amendment. The reason? Acknowledging that some of the characters are gay. 
That's it. Yep. That's it. No other reason. The agenda is all about, um, you know, continuing to police and, you know, um, destroy, if possible, the lives of people who are not just straight. And it extends beyond sexuality, extends to race as well. This is a this is a an ongoing complex issue. The last thing I want to point out about this is that in October of this very year, in response to pushback, Scholastic Book Fair announced that they were going to create a separate category for books that would allow schools to opt out of books that they feel are controversial and too diverse. Mm-hmm. Quote, it was claimed that this was to help school administrators and employees avoid taking more heat in states that have been censoring what's available for children to read. That is bullshit. And thankfully, Scholastic walked that back. Mm-hmm. But this Skytree was trying to capitalize on people's anger with Scholastic because their children are coming home with books in which two people who love each other are kissing. That is a problem for some people that are in this country. And that shit's crazy. It's also pr- it's just not re- the reality. Like like I was in the drama club in high school. I was like the only straight one out of there that, that once college came around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I directed community theater yeah. for years. Fun fact, people may not know. It, but but that aside, it comes out a simple thing. If you don't like it, don't, don't read it. it. And yes. then furthermore, don't publicize it. Period. People, when I did musicals for years, people used to try to dog on me about the fact you don't write negative reviews. Even when I did comic reviews for years, you don't do negative reviews. And I very rarely did because why waste time, space, capital, energy dragging something down when instead I can promote something that's good? And I get it. Controversy creates cash. I get it. People, People like to come in and hate on stuff and, and i understand and, and even no offense even you guys know sometimes we'll you know review a book and just just slag on it that's cool man each their own but my mentality has always been if you don't like it don't talk about it this is strictly agenda driven and again let's presume positive intent let's presume that this woman really has some sort of mental emotional regulation deficiency that seeing a drawing a drawing of a kiss letter to a porn addiction. Is there any precedent for this being an issue so severe that you need to ban Raina Talgemeier's books, which are an entry point to this amazing medium for so many children, for Thousands. so many young girls, especially? It's like just a it's madness. It's insane. And again, but again, come back to what I said earlier. 11 people are responsible for 60% of the book bans in the United States. And this is a perfect example of that lunacy that's going on right now. So, whatever. Asinine. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight this absolute horseshit. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's I, I think it's important to talk about the fact that this is what's going on because unfortunately these people are very motivated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're a parent, right, then maybe, you know, maybe you could consider attending some of these meetings and saying, Hey, no, 
That's BS. I've also read this book. My children read these books and they're they're doing just fine. Individuals have power way more than you would be led to believe. Remember what Dirk said. That is a minute amount of people. This is one woman we're reporting on. This is not a wave of people. This is one woman's power. So you have power too. No, absolutely. I also like how it's a clear, like, if your 12-year-old has an addiction to porn, maybe the parents should be doing something about that. Uh, no, the school board should ban drugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah. So, there's so many levels to this, and it's all absurd. It's absurd. And this person, I wish this person had the dignity to be ashamed of themselves for the right reason. Mm. You know, there's some of the locus of control. You can control how the decisions you make and things you do. And if you're suffering an addiction, if you're suffering a mental health crisis, hey man, we've all, we've all struggled. We all struggle on different things. Get help, but do not turn around and then say, this thing should not be accessible because it adversely affected me. Right. Yeah. Right. But like, get the F out. There you go. I love it. Um, Harris says, breaking news, she claims that her first chocolate milk at school has given her crippling addiction to candy. <laughs> uh, Christian... Harriet said at $5.99 plus per book, I need the negative reviews too. Hell yeah. And 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 I, I want to say, you know, um, I'm I I love promoting positivity. I'm all about pushing oh, P. Yeah. But at the same time, comics are expensive and our audience needs to know what's worth their no, time. Right. To be to be fair, the only time I would publish a negative review or any, you know, is if it's something I really expected and should have liked but didn't. And like a famous example is like I was a big fan of Megadeth, the band. And when they put out Risk, I wrote a rare negative review because like, man, I this is an album as a Megadeth fan I really probably should have liked, but I gave it a very critical review because I'm like, this is a deep that's a deep cut my metal my fellow metalheads out there. But like, this is something that as a Megadeth fan I'm really taken aback at how much I. Do not enjoy it. So there is value in talking about things that aren't good. But we always need to make sure, again, we promote the positive view and give that bandwidth to things that could use it. But you're coming from a critical point of view, which I would I would argue is different than maybe like we'll shit on on, a, on an individual or a set. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm Flash number three. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Oh. Speaking of promoting positivity, Anyone Comics is a comic book store that does that on the reg. Um, that is really their whole agenda. Um, and I don't use that word in a negative connotation. I use it in a very positive one because they're all about promoting comics for anyone. Right. Um, and they even have another store that's for everyone. Hey. So it's a beautiful thing. We've been there. Um, love that store. The owner, Demetrios, is a phenomenal dude um, that I have known for many, many years. And so they're actually closing anyone comics. Uh, womp. Well, but it's reopening a few blocks away. Oh, damn you! When I go back to New York Comic Con October, I'm like, I need to go to the store, and then you just lulled me into a false sense of depression. So, so where, where are they? Where is Anyone Comics? So that when people in New York Comic Con, they can go check out this great shop. Yeah. So Anyone Comics is in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're in Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know. I mean, let me see if they have the exact location. Yeah, so uh, it's... We can find it in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's 831 Nostrand Ave, Brooklyn, um, in yeah. Crown Heights. So, you know, if you ever wanted to check it out. It's a phenomenal store. Cool. There's a specific reason why I want to talk about this, and it's not simply 
to talk about how much I love this this place. So, uh, Demetrios wrote a, a, a you know a great write up about the store and everything else. Um, I'm gonna go to a particular a particular point of this. Um, Anyone Comics offers a unique experience as it became the place you can pick up your comics upstairs, join a drink and draw, join Magic the Gathering tournament, or play a session of Dungeons and Dragons, drop your kids off for an art class, or pick up your free comic books on free comic book day, and all that good stuff. It's a store with two floors. The bottom floor is for, like, game night, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a very diverse store. In fact, their primary sales do not come from Big Two Comics. So it's pretty cool. The next... uh couple of things are why I'm talking about this. The gamble paid off and the business reached new heights in 2021, leading into an investment in a second store in Queens called Everyone Comics and Collectibles. But 2022 proved not to be a good year to expand. The growth of sales and event attendance in 2021 was overestimated Hmm. and business decreased while costs and rent have gone up. Why did that happen? The article and the write-up by Demetrios does not go into that, but I will. The reason that happened is what happened to a lot of comic book stores. Everybody overestimated how much money people really had post-COVID. That's exactly what happened. That is why the market is trending down. Because everybody projected a massive 2022 and a huge 2023. And that is not what happened. Because all those stimulus checks that we got dried up. The price of everything, gone up. The price of comics, way up. $5.99 plus in many cases. $10. I've spent $10 on a comic book multiple times this year. Yep. My salary flatter than a Coke. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and I think that they, they, oh, they, like, nobody was doing anything in 2020. They couldn't. So they had disposable money at that point, you know? Um, and, you, and you need to spend it on things you could do at home. Like yeah. Read comics. Yep. And then in 2021, uh, when you have events and stuff, people are, are now jonesing to have community, and they're going to be going out and all that stuff. So they're probably going to be doing it a little more than they normally would have. Right. It's it's something that, you know, look, business savvy, we talked about it earlier, is required to run a business. Big shock. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not trying to, do, to diminish Demetrius in any way. A lot of people did not realize what we were actually living in. And so a lot of people got on their high horse and they talked about, wow, look at this. Comics are comics are doing better than ever. What, what are you talking about? The industry is, is in danger. What are you talking about? We need to fix some things. No, you got bamboozled. And we need to really take a look at this industry and fix some things. And by the way, I think anyone comics is as close to, to, to having it figured out as any comic shop I've ever been to. Smart man, smart man to talk about comics. Yeah, yeah man. I look forward to heading to check out that store. Please do, and when you do, tell them. Uh, tell them. Uh, you know, we shouted it. We shouted them out. Tell them large marks. Look you. them up online. Go give them a like and all that stuff. And again, yeah. that's what you do, right? Little things you can do that it's gonna cost me no money to go on Facebook, like their page, drop them a note, say, "Hey, I really heard about Church Stores Cool." Even if I'm not back in New York till October, I'd like to come by and see you. So, right on. Thank you for the heads up on that. I love. I love to hear shops like that that are supporting. 
a variety of comics. Yeah. Uh, Hendrick Perry says, instead, the price of eggs shot up and basic foods had me doing double take on luxury buys. Exactly. And in the spirit of that, thank you so much for being a channel member. You are fantastic. Uh, we really, really appreciate anybody who would spend their money on us when things are what they are. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to support the things that you love, you know, and so go to your local shop. And if you have a bit of expendable income that you can afford to shoot their way, then that's a big help. Um, you know, and the same goes for us. Absolutely. Um, the last bit of news we have to talk about before we get into the draft, because you guys did kill that likes goal. So we will be able to do our draft today, Dirk. Yes. Um, we've <laughs> never had to miss moment? one. Yes. Uh, is simply <clears throat> to confirm that Marvel appears to have every intention of making Avengers Kang Dynasty, the movie. Ooh, full ahead? It appears so because they hired Michael Waldron, who was the, the point person behind Loki, to make this movie. Mm. Uh, so Michael Waldron is, is signed on to write Avengers Kang Dynasty. Of course, this is in the midst of people uh, debating whether or not Jonathan Majors will continue on in the role of Kang or whether Marvel will pivot altogether and move away from Kang and into Doom or whatever else. Avengers Kang Dynasty having a writer on tap is a pretty good sign that Marvel will make this movie. Now, I have two things to say before you guys tap in. One, that doesn't mean that Jonathan Majors will be the person playing Kang. Uh Jonathan's uh, trial has just started the other day um, here in New York, and uh, it was absolutely insane. This dude brought a Bible. He brought a Bible, and he brought Megan Good. And it's just like, can you stop with the fabrication? I mean, please? bringing Megan Good, though, like, if I'm on that bring, <laughs> Bringing Megan Good is good anywhere. It's great to do. You should always bring Megan Good if she's in your life. But it just comes across as very fabricated and phony, and I saw right through it as I was watching that. That being said, the other factor is that just because this movie has a writer does not actually mean that this movie will release as Avengers the Kang Dynasty. We are yeah. talking about Marvel Comics or Marvel Studios. This only confirms that this writer will be writing this Avengers movie. What this Avengers movie is, is I, th in my opinion, still up in the air because I don't think Marvel is still sold. I mean, what, what Captain America's title changed, you know, when it was in production. So... How many times has the uh, the Agatha spinoffs title changed? Yeah, true. Yeah, right. No, uh, we're gonna get an Avengers movie, and people can go watch it or not, and it's gonna be good or it's not. Not again. Not to not to oversimplify it. Not to gloss over any of the 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 drama. There will be a trial. There will be a verdict. People can then decide if they continue to support this person if he's in the movie. Uh, I think he's an amazing actor. He's doing great as Kang. Um, this leads into that big debate of separating the art from the artist, right? Yes. And, and it gets and it's a very complicated thing that we do not have nearly enough time to talk about right now. Uh, I like him as Kang. I like the direction they're going with the Kang stuff in the Marvel movies. Um, depending to the degree to which things come out in regards to what's happening with this, I may or may not be able to separate the art from the artist on this, but I'll tell you what, um, I'm excited about the very slow rollout of this very big Kang threat they're doing. I, I really enjoyed the second season of Loki, what they were doing there. I love the post-credit scene in Ant-Man with the Council of Kangs. Um, 
we'll we'll see what happens. I, I will say, and again, if I suddenly get odd man out here, so be it. I think a lot of us comic geeks are doing a lot of fantasy booking in regards to they're gonna replace Kang with Doctor Doom. Nowhere, anywhere has there been any legitimate indication that this is going to happen. Again, get the F out. You don't know. You're not going to know, just like you didn't really know CM Punk was coming back to WWE either. All right. You don't know what's happening. Let them do what they're going to do and then vote with your dollars. Watch it or don't watch it. Right. You, you know, but we'll, we'll get to Dr. Doom. I don't, we're going uh, to we'll get to all this stuff. Trust me. But right now, just let them do what they're going to do. Decide how much you can separate the air from the artist. If, if there's anything, this ultimately, this could become a nothing burger. This could this this could all be nothing, or not, or he could be the most horrible human ever walking the earth. Let's see. Vote with your wallet if you want to support it. If you can support it, if you don't want to, figure it out. I don't know. Sorry, I'm a buzz killer on controversy. Sorry. <laughs> Superhero Joe Joe Schmo on on Elon Musk's uh, Twitter slash X, uh, who has no reputable contacts in the film industry, told me that they were going to replace him with Doctor Doom. So, you, you know I, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like well, uh, my dad who works at Marvel actually he he told me so. Oh, there you go. Right, right. Yeah. Quick, I think, so, quick, yeah. quick. Someone put that on Twitter. Yeah. Right. He has lunch my, with my uncle who works for Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. My right. dad was Stan Lee, and he told me. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Ouija board out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a seance. I did a seance, and I asked him. Right. Uh, is is Avengers Kang Dynasty going to release with Jonathan Majors in the role? <laughs> And uh, Stan told me yes, and so therefore I am reporting that now here you, live. You should have done that on the Fantastic Four news. You would have saved yourself an omnibus, but <laughs> right. Oh shit, you're right, dude. Um, you're absolutely right. Okay, we'll probably find out more about this as we go along. I think the trial is going to determine a lot of things, but I agree with Dirk. You know, obviously we have to talk about these kind of things for the show, and I think it's interesting to speculate. But at the end of the day. You know, we'll see what happens. That, that's it. Yeah, I didn't mean to crush the segment or, or attempt to. I apologize. But it's a no. situation where it's like, but it is. It's an interesting thing about the art versus the artist. I always say, if you dig deep enough on anybody, you're going to find something about them you don't like. Or you can just go take the movie for what it is, a thing to enjoy. And ideally, you'll be trading a certain amount of your money for a level of enjoyment equal to or more than the money you invested in it. Yeah. Um, and, and I know, I know that's tough for people. I get why yeah. this is one of those situations we're going to have to play out and whatever's in your heart after it plays out is on you. Uh, right. Vote with your wallet, vote with your dollars and uh, donate money to, and I don't say this flippantly, but you know, I mean, vote you can vote with your dollars a lot of way too. Maybe if, Turns out this guy's a scumbag, did some terrible stuff. Maybe rather than going to see Kang, you donate some money to a charity that's going to help support victims of this stuff, for example, or something. Or, yeah. or donate some of your time or do something. Or complain on Twitter, whatever you're going to do. <laughs> or Zitter or whatever it's called now, you know. Zitter, I haven't heard that one. Um, Roboters 100 says, I got comic book guys hook up where the bug they bug underneath the board stable for the casting of Doom going forward. <laughs> 
Hey, Roboters, can you confirm a a theory <laughs> and something we've been we've been talking about? Can you can you confirm that you are in fact Harvoke on the Discord? Because I believe you are, and that was a discussion, and you're here now, so I just wanted to ask. It's you. another conspiracy theory. I know. <laughs> um, all right. We have one thing that we need to do, one thing left that we have to do before we cut out of here. And hopefully that's something that you guys are all excited about. I know I am. I know Dirk is. That is the draft. Yes. Thank you for making this possible, everyone. You've made my day. Thank you. Today's draft is about the world. You know, it's a worldly draft. Um, and it's about the people in it and the people who represent different places across the world. We are talking about the ambassador draft. How does it work? Each of us will draft five characters, but you can only draft one character from every nation. Oh. So if you pick an American, a North American, right? If you pick a character that that is from the United States, you cannot then pick another one from the United States. You so are Canada locked out of the U.S. Okay. Got it. There's no... You can pick characters from anywhere on Earth. I don't care where it is. Just one character from each place. And this is a superhero team. Um, yeah. Villains allowed to? Sorry, I just, you know... I, I, like, they, they, get, they get team... Like, the purpose of this team is just to make, like, a... Is it an ambassador team? Like, a di diplomatic mission? Or is this going to be more like a... Don't worry about that. Okay, you, okay. You're, just you're only... Your only agenda is to draft five superheroes from different places across the world. And the winner of the draft is determined by the audience, whatever the hell they like the most. Okay. So right. any other questions? Do different worlds count? Are we only doing Earth? Um, I think we should keep it to Earth. I think it's more fun. Okay, so I can't pick a, a Norse god. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was kind of thinking about that too. All, I mean, all people not born on earth are disqualified oh we should do a so 50 state 50 state initiative draft one day sean <laughs> that's insane yeah. and sounds like fun um any other questions villains i don't think we need to do villains i think we can get there without villains and we as a horror guy though i have a prediction towards the <laughs> all right all right okay fair okay. enough for the okay. sake of dirk We'll we'll include villains as well. I was just saying that you know, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective, arguably, right? You know, and they're fighting for their nation. It sounds like so. You know, the common ground. Yes, yeah. yes, they are fighting for their nation. Would Wolverine count as U.S.? Uh, no, no, he would count Canadian. as Canadian. Right. All right. I've got my dice. Let's go. And we are going to kick things off. I'm going to roll first for. Dirk Manning. So here we go. This rolls for Dirk. Okay. That is a 10. That's a 10. Ooh. Great start. Beginner's I, I, luck. I, I, I like that. I like that. Now for Tyler. That is a three. <laughs> Damn, Tyler. <laughs> now for Marco. It's me. That's a nine. Oh. Ooh. Pretty good. And now for myself. Now you get to boxcars. Watch. That's a six. Oh, right. oh, okay. Yeah. All, right. So, All right. I deserve that. Uh, it's about time. It, <laughs> it'll be Dirk, Marco, myself, and Tyler. That is the order. Uh, it is a snake draft. Um, so, Dirk, you'll you'll kick us off with your first pick. 
I'm going to go with one of my favorite characters in the Marvel movies, especially, although I certainly also have a predilection for this character in the comics, the Scarlet Witch. Where's she from? Not the United States. Wundegar, <laughs> <laughs> Wind, right? Isn't that? Or, Wundegar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, I, I believe it's a, I believe it's a made up right. country. And made up places count. Yeah, for, thank for you. Yeah, that's what I, I was, I, you notice I started there specifically <laughs> to to kind of broach that that subject. Sure, I, I'm glad you did because my first pick was going to be Black Panther out of Wakanda. Right. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. All right. So Dirk got Scarlet Witch. Marco got Black Panther. I'm going to go with Storm, mm. representing Africa. Okay, I'm going to go representing Latveria, Doctor Doom. There you go. And wow. representing Germany, Magneto. Oh, oh. very good. Oh. Um. All right. So, uh, I'm up again. Um, I'm going to choose. Shit. Uh, representing Russia, I'm going to choose Colossus. Nice. That's a good one. I'm going to do repping PR, La Warin Kenya, baby. Oh, is this big too? No, I, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> fine. Dirk, you're up twice. Oh, wow. Okay. I am going to go and, and you know, hate me if you must, but I'm going to take the low hanging fruit before someone else does. I'm picking Wolverine from Canada. Damn it. Boom. And now a really deep cut, what I don't actually my favorite characters that I was first exposed to in Peter David's run on the Hulk. I'm going to pick Sabra from Israel. Oh, uh, she's very cool, very cool character. Uh, went toe to toe with the, the the smart Hulk. I think they called kind of called him that era. Mm-hmm. Is is in the new Captain America movie coming out too? Yep. Oh, oh wow! I didn't know yep. that. Yep, she's been cast. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I made my day. That's awesome. Thank you. Marco, you're up. I'm going to do, uh, give me good old Captain America. Ah, I I didn't think, I didn't think anyone would get him. What? Steve, Steve Rogers. <laughs> you thought he was so obvious that. <laughs> that nobody would pick him. I thought I had time. Yeah, I thought I had time. Uh, I'm going to go with my U.S. pick. Of Captain Marvel. Hmm. Carol Danvers. Okay. And I'm up, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, a pick from Markova. I'm picking Geoforce. Mm. And then I would like to snag my my boy uh, Namor from uh, the sea. (laughs) I was curious if that would count, but I debated making the argument for Atlantis as of being a former above ground country at one time. Well, it is a na- it's a nation that's represented, so it. I think it's in the, it's in the UN too. If I believe not, in Marvel if not Latvia, then why not? Right, that's that's absolutely that's, that's very valid. So it's back to me. Uh, I'm going to go with. Oof! I need a Canadian. I need a Canadian. Uh oh, I'll go with uh Nightcrawler. Germany, right? Yeah. Yes. Ah. 
and it, it doesn't matter that Tyler Reed, oh, I guess it doesn't matter Tyler. Reed. It's yeah, it's just, thing. yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, we have to have our own. Yeah. How many do I, am I, I'm, I'm up, right? Marco's uh, up, and I'm then up. you. I'm going to do Darna from the Philippines. Darna, okay. From what? What is what is that from? What is the that Philippines? character from? Sorry. Uh, she's just a, a popular superhero in the Philippines. Oh, okay, but not, oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Yeah. Nestor Redondo. So these are your last two picks, Dirk. My last two back-to-back. All right, I'm going to go from someone with no superpowers to someone who's overtly superpowered. Mexico, I'm going Zorro. Ooh, nice. Love Zorro. I have a lot of love for Zorro. Zorro's one of my childhood favorites. And another childhood favorite, in honor of the amazing new movie that just dropped, I'm going to Japan, and I'm putting Godzilla on my team. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> because yes. Godzilla Minus One is going to be should be the first Godzilla movie to be nominated for an Oscar. Incredible, 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 incredible movie. I got to rep my boy, Godzilla for Japan. Yo. All right, what? I'll allow it. <laughs> you're the guest. Back to back Japan, Sunfire. Oh. Ooh, that's a good pick. Yeah. That's hot. Um, Literally. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. have said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> for my last pick, hmm, this is tough. Damn. I can't think of any Canadians. You're really stuck. Uh, think, think Alpha Flight. Robin yeah. Thick. I, I got hell no. <laughs> I got one Alpha Flighter, but I just don't know if I want to choose them. It's Puck. Got, if Puck is a fine pick, Sean. Yeah, you got Puck, Puck, you Puck. got Sasquatch, you got Box Four, you know, Kai. Yeah, the uh, Omega, right? Isn't he one of them as well? Um, I'm gonna draft Keenan Kong. Okay. Superman of the China. Superman of China, right? Oh yeah. wow, yeah. Okay. Hell doesn't count as a place, right? No, okay. hell is not a nation. Hellboy was, out of the picture. Hellboy. I was debating Mephisto too. I know. I, I, <laughs> I was actually going to choose Hellboy, um, but no. no, no. Oh. Uh, all right, I'll just go to Egypt. Give me Apocalypse. Oh. <laughs> Damn, that's good. That, well, that's good. I t- I did not want to use any of North America, and I've succeeded. So. Wow. Mm. All right. So we've all got five. And here are the teams. Dirk got Scarlet Witch, Wolverine, Sabra, Zorro, and Godzilla. And Marco put up a, uh, a poll while, you, while I'm doing this. Uh, Tyler got Doctor Doom, Magneto, Geoforce, Namor, and Apocalypse. Marco got Black Panther, La Borinquena, Captain America, Steve Rogers, Darna, and Sunfire. And I got Storm, Colossus, Captain Marvel, uh, Nightcrawler, and Keenan Kong, Superman. So those are the teams. I must say that if I were just listening, if I were not on this podcast and I had a vote, I would vote for Tyler. Clip that, uh, uh, viewers, just clip that for me. Can we get that uh, <laughs> sound bite? <laughs> just because every time you picked somebody, I was like, damn it, I needed that person. I'm not. Um, gonna, you guys are great. Let's not going to lie. I vote for myself just because I want Godzilla representation. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We need it. We need it. <laughs> no, Dirk had a great draft too. I mean, Godzilla. My goodness, I, I, I get that. That was that was way out there. I understand it. I know I was kind of playing dirty pool, but uh, man, that new Godzilla movie is so good. I'm, I'm obviously he like, was in a Marvel movie. comic, and he was yeah, in a Marvel right. comic. Yeah. And they're putting out a new color omnibus 
of the Godzilla comic from Marvel. Yeah, yeah. they've been doing a lot of that recently, like Rom the Space Knight too, like the, those yeah, weird yeah. rights things. I have, the, old, the, rights I have the, uh, the essential, you know, the Godzilla one, the, the old black and white reprint, but now that color one's coming out, Oh, get that too. Get those votes in if you're watching us live on YouTube. Let us know who you think won the draft. Um, Dirk, it has been an unbelievable pleasure to have you as a part of the show, you 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 ran the gauntlet with us. This was actually a longer episode than we're used to. Um, but, me, I apologize. Well, <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. Talk to us real quick about where people can find you all over the internet, and uh, you know, of course, plug the Kickstarter, please. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you want to find out more about me and my work, you go to jerkmanning.com. It's my website. I have a newsletter. You can sign up there. I send out once a month. I don't do Substack or anything like that. Again, creator owned. I send a personal email once a month through dirkmanning.com. Uh, new Kickstarter for Hope Volume 2 through SourcePoint Press by me, Sally Scott, Dave Lentz, Greena Joe, at a heroforhope.com. Really accessible, really cool, very emotionally investing book. The book's on Kickstarter till next Friday. We are fully funded. We've unlocked seven stretch goals and counting. You can check that out. Uh, you want to connect with me on social media? I'm on Instagram, Facebook, most social media platforms of note, at Dirk Manning. Look for the image of the guy with the, uh, I guess, the uh, the top hat and the scarf. And that's me. And again, thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate you. You know, I'm a huge fans professionally. I have a lot of love for all of you personally. And this was a really great opportunity. I appreciate this so much. And all of you watching and all of you that help support the Comics Pals, thank you for what you do too, because you give opportunities for creators like myself and the other great guests you guys have on to come in and talk about our work and spread the the love of this uh, this industry and this medium. So thank you all. This has been wonderful. Awesome. And speaking of um, speaking of creators, we actually have a very special uh, interview coming up this week. We're going to be speaking with um, the creative team behind Duke, Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be this Wednesday. Uh, we'll give you guys more details about that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get to the result of the draft. Who won? Got you. I got you. Let's see. Let's see. Let's, let's click end on this baby. And drum Ooh. roll, please. It's not popping up on my end. I got it. Uh, so big winner this week is, of course, the individual with the biggest character. Dirk Manning took 50% Ay. of the vote. Tyler coming in right behind with 33% of the vote. Uh, I got 16%. And Marco coming in with a big hot 0%. Yeah. Looks like the minions yeah. really showed out for you, Marco. <laughs> And to be fair, I voted for – shamelessly, I voted for myself. So really, you know, Marco, maybe I should have voted for you. But, again, we got to give love to Godzilla. So. No pity votes. Right, no pity right. votes. Yeah, no pity votes. Yeah. Hey, babe, you you got to bet on yourself. you got to bet on yourself. And and you know what? I bet on the minions, and it wasn't me, right? <laughs> They're more <laughs> night owls, I guess, for the Palace yeah. show. <laughs> They'll come in after the fact. They'll be they'll be smashing the the boat button at, at midnight tonight for you. Yeah, give a night crowd, Marco. That's okay. I'll take it. Um, Roboter says thank you, Dirk, and great insights on these topics. Thank you, and thank you to everyone in the comments who was saying hi and stuff. I'm sorry I get a chance to say hi. Be those of you who see at conventions, those of you I look to seeing at conventions in the future. Dirkman.com has my convention schedule on there. 
Uh, I'm kind of off the road till like February, March, working on a bunch of new stuff, including Tales Mystery Volume 6, a major horror project that I haven't even told you guys about yet. So Ooh. maybe we'll talk off the air. But yeah, thank you again for having me. And thank you for everybody in the comments and, and watching the show. I appreciate you all. And uh, HeroForHope.com. Check out, check out Hope Volume 2. HeroForHope.com. I also want to say thank you. Thank you to Dirk for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. Before we jump, patreon.com slash thecomicspals. If you enjoyed this show, if you like what we do, that's a great way to support us. Channel memberships are always open. If you want to join us, just click the join button uh, on the screen that you see right now if you're listening to us on YouTube. Uh, but support is as simple as a share, a like, anything that you guys do, leaving us a review or a comment on a podcast hosting platform. Everything matters and everything helps. So we appreciate that so much. Before we get out of here, just some quick plugs. Uh, Tyler. Uh, you can follow me on the Tyler Olson on Instagram, uh, X, uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, talk to me about uh, Saltburn. I just saw Saltburn last night. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's the newest Emerald Fennel movie. Um, it's, a, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. Uh, I will never look at bathtubs the same, but uh, yeah. Marco. Uh, thank you again for tuning into this episode. You can follow me at Mr. Marco Anamoto on all social things. Uh, my newsletter is out this coming week. So for anybody who's uh, tuning in uh, on the Patreon, you know, just stay tuned. Going to go over uh, some crafts that I've been getting into because thirty has uh, thirty is the year for art and creating. So, all right. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, only at Sean Soapbox. The only thing I want to mention is a heroforhope.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. Until next time, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys.